Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss a recap of Season 1 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the 1992 film Buffy the Vampire Slayer, with special guests Ron Martin and Little Miss Horror Nerd Jessica Feeney from the Resurrection of Zombie 7 Horror Podcast, as well as introducing a new segment, Clairvoyance Comics. Mr. Universe here. This season had a lot of ups and downs, but Stand overall... back, everyone. There's something here to see. Uh, well, here. You think just because you do all the work, Mr. Universe, every sassy monologue on the show belongs to you? The big bad is stopping your signal. Everything goes somewhere, and you can go back to Cortex Relay 7. Hey, everyone. It's me, the Clairvoyant. You've heard my voice, and you've groaned at my bad jokes, but you don't really know me. Mr. Universe got a wonderful opening speech to kick off episode one, but we're the Whedonverse podcast, and we're playing our cards in true Whedon fashion. Everybody knows you don't need the clairvoyant until the end of season one. Inspired very much by Versi's speech, I thought I'd tell you a bit about myself and my love-love relationship with the beautiful brain, plus a few other extremities, that we know as Joss Whedon. Like Mr. Universe's story, mine, unfortunately, starts with an ex-girlfriend from years ago. Unlike Mr. Universe's story, I can proudly declare that my ex was human. Was, of course, until she was sired into a soulless, blood-sucking monster long before I met her. Upon watching a lackluster cult classic rock opera starring our very own Tony Head, Vampy declared, That's Giles! The moment I confessed I had absolutely no idea what she was blabbering about, my origin truly began. This vampire, ironically, would be the one to show me Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But let's dial it back. Prior to this moment in the late 2000s, I hazily remembered three things about Buffy from my childhood. One, a blonde vampire wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Two, a game of spin the bottle going terribly wrong. And three, a seven-year-old Mr. Universe getting in trouble with the Catholic school board for drawing comparisons between a young redhead girl and Willow. Veterans may recognize that all these clues take place in the same season, but newcomers will touch on these later. But I digress. As with Mr. Universe, I did not particularly want to start a new series, and was not particularly enthused with the quality of the first season. But with Vampy's urgings that it gets better, and her chains digging into my wrists, I decided to try a few more seasons, entirely of my own free will. To my surprise, at some point, I found myself caring about these characters and what happened to them. 
I didn't care that the series ended years and years prior. I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I wanted the world to know. After Mr. Universe grabbed Dr. Horrible by chance and plunked me down to watch it, I realized that it wasn't just Buffy. I loved everything that this crazy madman wrote. He made me laugh and feel really bad about myself at the same time, and I just couldn't get enough. I quickly devoured everything that ever had his name attached to it. Now, if you told teenage clairvoyant that he'll have a podcast where he discusses Joss Whedon's work in excruciating detail, he would have laughed in your face and then cried knowing that life really isn't going to get any better. But if anything has become evident over the past several years, this man crush just isn't going away. This episode, we're going to review the movie that started it all with some very special guests. But before we get to that, Mr. Universe and I are going to talk about the behemoth we just witnessed, the creature known to some as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We will discuss many things, the highs and lows of the season, our stake ratings and if we still agree with them, our death count totals and in memoriam for characters, errata, fan feedback, and things we missed, and of course our special guests who have accompanied us through this journey so far. So sit back, relax, and let our boring voices soothe you sleep before the actual funny people join in. I present to you a retrospective reflection on Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. What a beautiful speech from the clairvoyant. I, wow, I'm in tears. I am too. <laughs> so, fellow Whedonites, lovely fans, this is the part of the show that we get to do once a season that you get to skip over. It's called The Recap, where... We take everything from season one, we talk about it. We talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. We kind of overview everything that we accomplished, everything that the season accomplished. So this is actually our second attempt at doing a season recap. We were a bit new at it. We'd never done one before. And our first attempt, after about a week of sitting on the audio file, we were both like, that was messy. I don't like that. Let's redo it. So we're doing it again. One thing that I'm sure you've noticed we've kept track of over the course of the season is we discussed stake ratings and we discussed death death count of different species. So let's first talk about our stake ratings. Overall, total for the season looks like if we total up all my stake ratings for every episode, my rating for the season is 2.67 and clairvoyant, yours is 2.71. Oh, I robot. <laughs> yeah, I robot you Jane. So, do you agree with this stake rating? Um, 2.71, if you round, is 2.5. Yeah, I would say. I would give it probably a 2.5. So if you round it down, yeah. I've got to agree with mine as well. And look like our average together is 2.69. So about what we gave it. You know, rounding down to 2.5, I'd say that's pretty fair. Yeah, slightly higher, but, you know. We both were looking down on this season quite a bit. So if there's any episode, say pick one episode. If you could go back and change your stake rating on any one episode, what episode would you pick and why? Uh, probably the second one, The Harvest. Yeah, you gave that I, one a I, two. I think I gave it a two, yeah. I think I was being a little harsh on it just because I've seen The Harvest – so many times, I you know I'm sick of Luke. I'm sick of that whole thing. I just want the story to start progressing. So I think I I might give that a two point five if I could uh, now. But you know I don't think a two is totally unfair either. But yeah, if I could change one, it would probably be the harvest. 
Mine as well, actually. I gave it a 3, and I think I would go down to a 2.5. I think both the first episodes I was too lax on, I gave them both 3s, because they were better than I remembered, but they didn't necessarily deserve a 3. I think just since we both gave the pilot 2.5, and I thought it was better than the pilot, I one-upped it a little bit. In a surprising twist, uh, I think I would also bump iRobot Eugene down 0.5. I thought you were going to bump it up, like, 2, so you got a perfect 5. I, th- I gave it a 3.5, correct? You give it a three. Oh, well, then that's fine. No, that's good. So <laughs> let's discuss about that. Because on our first episode, you had mentioned that there was a really bad episode where Willow's the damsel, damsel in distress this season. Yeah, uh, Prophecy Girl. No, no, that wasn't what you were referring <laughs> to. So what changed? I don't know. I thought I remembered it being a really bad episode. And then I watched it and it was better than I remembered it being. And maybe that's what helped. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. So, death ratings for the season. We got a human death count of 20 in Sunnydale. A vampire death count of 23, which is only marginally better, which is a depressing statistic. It's a nail-biter. Some of those were humans that got turned into vamps. Well, all of them, but some of them died twice in an episode. Demon count of 2. We've got the demon from iRobot, Eugene, and uh, the... The puppet from Puppet Show. Or not the puppet, he wasn't a demon. The demon from the Puppet Show. And then another yeah. count of three. We've got the Praying Mantis from Teacher's Pet. The uh, pig. The pig from the pack. And the puppet from the Puppet Show. Ooh, now, we didn't count Buffy and Prophecy Girl. Though, part of me thinks we maybe should have, because she's more than just human. But it's, yeah. it's a toss-up. Witches, slayers, like that's when it gets into the gray area. Right. But that's pretty depressing statistics. That's a total, if I do my quick math here, that's a total of 48 deaths in season one. Wow, that was 12 episodes. Yeah. So that's a pretty depressing statistic. <laughs> so let's do a little bit of an overview of the season, the things that, the overarching plot and everything that happens. So we start out, you know, Buffy comes to a new town. Yeah, Sunnydale, California. Sunnydale, California. And we find a little bit about her past that's a bit shaky. And then over the course of the season, she encounters, within days, witches, praying mantises, hyena people, uh, robot demons, puppets that talk. You know, how how did none of this happen in L.A. and she took it in such stride here in California? She's on a hill Sunny day. Yeah, I guess so. It's kind of a cop-out answer, like, oh, it could happen because it's on a hellmouth. Yeah, because they, I mean, she's very familiar with vampires. But they mention, you know, Giles mentions in the first episode, oh, it's not just vampires here. Right, right. Okay. And, yeah, so she meets a love interest, Angel. He's a vampire. Cool twist. And they kind of play it safe for the rest of the season, and then at the end of the season, she faces her foe, the master, and she dies. Sorry if you're, if you're just sitting there nodding your head like, yeah, yeah, we know, I know that you know. Just giving an overview. Just reminding you of everything that happened before we go into season two. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so, clairvoyant. If you were working for the network, this season had just finished, based on what you just seen, would you renew the season? Probably. Based on you know that killer finale, I'd be like, if if we can keep this up, yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too. Even if I didn't like the rest of the season, I think that finale, I'm like, okay, I want to see more of what you can do with that. So definitely. What were some highlights for you this season? Um, I can't remember what episode it was, uh, but there's this one like really, really cool robot demon. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'd say, let's see. Well, the highlights are obviously Angel and Prophecy Girl. We gave them both the highest ratings. But the unexpected highlight for me, I guess, would be Nightmares. I liked that a lot more than I thought I would. See, that one just kind of whizzed by me. I, I, I would consider it almost one of the lowlights of the season. Not because it was bad, but because it was not memorable for me. It's... Something about seeing Joseph Gordon-Levin act. It's just... Uh, no, I'd say low point of the season for me. Well, obviously the pack goes without saying. Unexpected low light of the season. Uh, probably iRobot Eugene for me. Because Teacher's Pet, I expected to be bad. I remembered it being bad. iRobot Eugene, I didn't really remember how I felt about it. So the fact that it got a 1.5 for me... You know, I don't know if I thought it was going to get that low before we started watching. See, like, there's the, the lows, like the pack and Teacher's Pet, which are comically bad. But then, you know, episodes for me like Nightmares and Out of Mind, Out of Sight, those ones, I just, I barely even remember recording them. So, like... You were just stoned out of your mind. <laughs> no, they just aren't that memorable episodes to me. Especially out of mind, out of sight. Ha <laughs> ha. I already forgot that one. That's so funny. I don't think I'll ever forget it because I remembered that I forgot it. <laughs> Fair. So casting choices this season. You know, this is the where it kicked it all off. Is there any characters that that you would say were poorly cast that maybe you would have redone? Even background minor ones. Let's see. I kind of wish that they just went with the original cast all around. Yeah, right. uh, you yeah, know, like right. Sarah Michelle Gellar as Cordelia, uh, Riff Regan as Willow, Ryan Reynolds as Xander, which actually a lot of people don't know he was the original choice for Xander. Yeah. Um, yeah, just Christy Swanson as Buffy, of course. No. Uh, just you know, stick with stick with what you know. Stick with the OGs. Wow. We started with them, and now we're here. Yeah. And these were our day ones, Mr. Universe. <laughs> Speaking of people that auditioned for different characters, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar had auditioned for Cordelia and vice versa. Um, also, the person who played Amy, the girl, Elizabeth Ann Allen, had auditioned for Buffy as well. And a lot of the extras sprinkled throughout the series had auditioned for other characters. I mean, uh, Danny Strong, who plays Jonathan, who wasn't really in the season. He's in the first episode, the pilot. He has a small speaking role, but he will become more prompt prominent you will recognize him he had auditioned for xander yeah a lot of them and i think that's one thing that's interesting because a lot of characters that are throughout the season in recurring or throughout the whole entire series and its spin-off in recurring roles uh auditioned for buffy you know uh i know that mercedes mcnab who's harmony i'm pretty sure she auditioned for buffy Prisma carpenter who is cordelia auditioned for buffy and then some characters that we haven't even met yet auditioned for Buffy, and maybe they weren't good enough to carry the series, but they still brought him back, which I think is really cool. Definitely. So who would be your 
MVP actor and your MVP actress of the season? Um, I think actor would probably go to Tony Head. Uh, Anthony Stewart Head as Giles. I think he did really well, uh, particularly in the finale. Right. And actress, I'm going to go with Sarah. I'm going to go with Buffy. That's a fair choice. I I was going to go with Anthony Stewart Head because I think he makes a boring idea likable, extremely likable. But I think I'm going to go with Nicholas Brendan because I had remarked so many times over the course of the season how just comfortable he is in this role, having been basically a non-actor before this and having a stuttering problem and how much he overcame to do this role and just fall so comfortably into it. And my MVP actress, I'm going to have to go with Alison Hannigan. I remember being blown away very early on that she was actually crying. She was actually, you know, tears down her face. And she was not the first choice. So that's so impressive that she's kind of a last-second replacement that brought it all to the table. So we have got some criticisms and comments on our podcast, Clairvoyant. I'm sure you know being Clairvoyant and all. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the common ones was in our teacher's pet episode. We had mentioned that all the guys inexplicably liked Miss French. And a lot of people pointed out that this was due to pheromones. Which I wrote in my notes. And And I I, knew. I did as well. And we spent so much time joking about it and making fun of Miss French, we forgot to actually mention that that was the most likely reason. Yeah, we got caught up. (laughs) (laughs) Another criticism is... uh, one Sick Puppy from Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, one of our frequent guests, pointed out that a lot of times he feels we confuse campiness with bad writing. That's fair. I'd say that's fair because it is often hard to discern the two, what's intentionally silly and what's just bad writing, especially in the 90s when the production value was all around lower. And but, you know, the thing is, I'm not entirely sure if the writers knew what they were going for. Right. So I'd say that's a fair criticism. Uh and I, maybe we do know the difference in some cases, but we decide to rank it lowly because it just didn't work. But it is it is something that we'll keep in mind. Well, after season one, largely that goes away. Yeah. So, but good to note. Definitely. And also, several people have pointed, us to, pointed out to us that by uh, pure blood, people are referring to virgins, which is, uh, I guess, a good assumption. Not necessarily true, but it's uh, as good a guess as any. But also, how do vampires know that? <laughs> well, because as soon as you have sex, your blood becomes tainted. It's dirty? Yeah. Like they, and they know it's pure. You know, that's so weird. That's, <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. Your, your blood doesn't have anything to do with your sex. Your sexiness, your sexy times. <laughs> so... I don't I don't understand. Do they have some special sense that we don't touch on? <laughs> I guess so. Um, now, if we had to say one nice thing about each of our guests this season, I know it's going to be really hard. About each of our guests that cropped up this season, if we had to say one nice thing, what would it be? Let's go down the list. So oh, go down the list? I was going to do one collective nice thing. No, no. You tried. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start with One Sick Puppy, who guessed it on here a couple times. What would you say nice about him? And we're not doing mean things about anybody, so don't even think it. <laughs> I was thinking mean things. 
<laughs> I, I just kind of want to say funny for everyone. So I got to be more creative. Yeah, I'd say once a puppy, he's just... He jumps into it so casually. He's so easy to work with. Like, he just jumps in there. He's funny, he's charismatic, and he just easily fits into our podcast he didn't have to kind of wedge himself in he just smoothly transitioned from his own style which is very different on his own podcast to our style without really disjointing everything i think with osp with osp uh osp i think the thing with him is how just how passionate he is about buffy and like his podcast has nothing to do with it i you know i i haven't listened to every episode, sorry, puppy, but I haven't. But I don't even know if they ever mention it. And he just he knew he knows so much. He he just he loves it. Like he he was he's a contender for Buffy useless Buffy trivia with us. Yeah. And next up after him we had Meg Griffin. And Meg if I oh it's a hard one. No, I'm just kidding. No Meg we met through Twitter, as we, I believe, mentioned in the episode. Uh, and then I found out she had a podcast after we had met. And just so likable. Just so, you know... And one thing lots of our Twitter followers have mentioned also is when she laughs, you laugh with her. She's just so infectious in her in her joy, even when she was sick when she recorded. Yeah, she... Uh, super fun, super bubbly. Uh, she just gets you talking about the most useless, unrelated stuff. <laughs> she's just, she's a lot of fun. She's super energetic, super charismatic. But yeah, she, uh, yeah, lots of fun. And then after that, we had Shani Dreadful, also from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. And she, she's just hilarious. Like, the stuff she says, I feel like sometimes it catches her off guard with how funny it is. Because she's just saying it, and then everyone else bursts out laughing, and she's just... You know, she said funny things just pour out of her mouth, just like so naturally. Sometimes I just think Spider Rancher and then I chuckle. Right? That Spider Rancher joke just killed me. So Shiny Dreadful is just so funny and just so likable to work with. And she swears so much, which is also funny to me. We bleeped out so much in that episode. Yeah. So what would you what would you say? Um, <laughs> This one's hard because I know her personally. And the other guests are just people that I know professionally. <laughs> yeah, she's. I think yeah, she's she's funny. She, whether she notices it or not, uh, she doesn't interject a, as much as some of our other guests. But it's just like zingers, and also her fear of clowns is fun to exploit. <laughs> uh, and last this season, before we get to our big special one, we had uh, Frank A. Rincon. So what would you say about Frank, Frankie? Frankie. Uh, Frank was, I mean, <laughs> I already admitted that I don't remember that episode very well. You're hurting poor Frank's feelings. Not because of Frank. Uh, Frank, he, like Meg, he had very infectious laughter. He, he laughs, you know, he, so he, likes, my, he likes my jokes. <laughs> and uh, he, he's just, he was so easy to get along with just so very personable and just so you know just like yeah let's do it guys whatever you guys want to do i'm in yeah and that's actually how we got frank on because when we had sent out an announcement to the network that saying that our podcast was joining <coughs> he said 
yeah, let's do it. Let's get me on. This is going to be awesome. And he's just such a go-getter and just so jolly about it. And, you know, the second I, I called him on Skype to record, hello, and he's just so excited about life. He's just such a <laughs> jolly guy. Now, after that, we had Mr. Mark Metcalf, which was a dream to have on the podcast. Never thought that that was going to happen, especially not so soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> since I watched Buffy when I was a teenager, I've had Mark Metcalf on Facebook. Um, I just, I don't know why. I, I do that. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it when we were getting to the end of the season. I'm like, we should try and get the master. And so I just, I sent him a Facebook message, like, hey, would you be interested? And, you know, I didn't hear back for a few days, and I assumed he either didn't read it or he read it and didn't care. But then a few days later, I just get a Facebook message, assume it's someone else, bam, it's him. Like, yeah, uh, you know, send me an email, I'm willing whatever you guys are. Yeah, it was Amazing. And, yeah, we worked out the details. We had to, as he mentioned on the episode, we had to reschedule because of his uh, Jimmy Fallon appearance. Or was it Jimmy Kimmel? One of the Jimmys. We had to reschedule. That didn't happen, the appearance, unfortunately. But just a great guy. And he's so, he's funny, but in a way that you don't know if he's kidding at first. Yeah, he's super deadpan. Um, Which is awesome. It's the best kind of funny. Yeah, and he was, yeah, he he was a really funny guy and super nice. Uh, like our interview was actually, it was in the middle of the SAGs, which he was watching, but he's like, oh yeah, I agreed to do this. I'll turn this off and do this for you. Right. Yeah. It was just awesome. Now, speaking of guests, we do have some coming up and we're going to talk about them in a little bit. Tell you what we like about recording with them since the segment's already done. But if you guys want to become guests, you're listening. If you're a podcaster, if you're not a podcaster, we don't care. We just want to hear from you. So Send us an email at WhedonversePodcast at gmail.com. We will work with you to see what works schedule-wise, you know, how your equipment is, talk you through, you know, our do's and don'ts on air. And, yeah, we would love to have a guest. We've got so many booked up already, and we would love to have more. It's always so much fun. So if you want to be a guest, let us know. Or suggest a guest, and we'll try and get them for you. So I believe it's time. We're going to do a shout-out to our to our uh, Facebook fans and our Twitter fans. Because they've supported us from the very beginning. Some of them, since before the beginning, before we even started the podcast, were just pumped and ready to go. So, yeah, some of these fans were absolutely great. First off, I want to give a shout-out to Corey. Some of them were absolutely great. All these fans were great. So first, I want to give a shout-out to Corey on Facebook. Sent us a bunch of great feedback, a a bunch of just wonderful messages, and... You know, I'd really appreciate it. It was the first real feedback we got back from a fan that we didn't personally know. So it was really nice to hear just a random person, a random fan that found us on his own, you know, give us some feedback. So we really appreciate you listening. I don't know how you found us, but uh, keep listening, please. Yeah, it worries me that there are, like, people out there just listening to my, my dumb opinions week after week, and I don't know them and they don't know me. They just like, oh, here's that freak who's way too into Buffy. <laughs> Second off, I want to give a shout out to BNX Bomber. I don't know who you are. Maybe you are another one of these people that we're mentioning. I don't know. But on iTunes, we got our customer review from BNX Bomber who said, loves the show. Perfect way to get all your weed in one spot. Very fun. Very informative. 
Which isn't strictly true. Well, it will we're be. Just, we're just covering, covering Buffy right now. But thanks for lying to our fans to promote us. Well, I think he likes the concept. Or she. He or she likes the concept. Another big shout-out to our fan on Twitter. We've got quite a few. First off, I want to give a shout-out to Mexi Carly. One of our biggest fans since before we even started introduced us to her whole group of friends who are all Buffy fans. So at Mexicarly on Twitter. Just wonderful. Wonderful woman. Always tweets us her favorite jokes from our episodes when she listens. She's just super gung-ho about our episode, always promoting us. So thank you so much, Carly. Another great Twitter follower, Captain Tightpants. So check him out. Uh, he's... God in what he does, which he is everything. He does gifs, he does songs, he does props. You know, I don't know what he doesn't do. Uh, until I encountered Mr. Tightpants, never ever in my life would I dream that people are like making gifs of the things I say. <laughs> right. And it, it's so nice to see, though. It's such a nice feeling. And he's super interactive with us and our fan base. He started listening to Dead as Hell because they were on our podcast. He's just a great great fan to have. Another great Twitter fan is Jackie Dominique on Twitter. Jo- Dominique on Fleek. Dom- Dominique, Dominic. Dominic, maybe. Dominoes. Really great. Uh, very supportive since the beginning, even though she had never listened to podcasts before. She's a trooper. Yeah, she listened and like she listened to like our first episode, and she's like, "Wow, this is garbage." That's <laughs> not just, quite how. It that's happened. not what happened. But she listened, and she's like, "I don't know, you know, I, I'm new to this. I don't know if this is for me." But she just kept listening until she convinced herself that she liked hearing our voices, and mm-hmm. that's awesome. <laughs> so shout out to you, also. Also, she uh, she favorites the things, the stupid things I tweet, which encourages me to tweet stupid things, and so. <laughs> I appreciate that. Another shout out to Pumpkins fan on Twitter. Uh, now, this is a fan who's actually she was there before the before everyone else because she was there before there was an idea. I had posted on the Buffy boards a while back that I was thinking about doing a podcast. What do people think I should do in it? What sort of ideas? And she was one of the people that gave feedback. And then when I had posted the Twitter link on there, hey, I started a Twitter up, she was one of the first people to follow. And she's been following us since the the thought popped into my head. And constantly giving us feedback, constantly interacting with us on Twitter, just a great fan to have. And One Sick Puppy from the Dennis Hell Horror Podcast is one of our biggest fans, promoting us endlessly. As we mentioned, he's just he's a huge Buffy fan and he loves this podcast. It's so, just because he's involved. <laughs> I don't think it is. So, appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. We try to yeah. promote Dead as Hell as much as we can, too, because it's just, we're almost like sister podcasts at this point. He was, like, excited about us before he was a guest. And one last fan I want to give a shout-out to. If we forgot anybody, very sorry. We'll catch you next time around. Keep active in our social media, and you'll get mentioned eventually. Uh, David Mello, who is a, he's a staff writer or an editor or something at Wheatonopolis. But he's been a fan of us on Twitter and Facebook. He's left us nice messages. He's tweeted to us criticisms, or not criticisms, as much as feedback. And he's just a huge Buffy fan, all-around nice guy. He's pretty mellow. Pretty David Mellow. So, shout out to him also. Now, sorry that y'all had to listen to that. A bunch of names rambling off about us gushing about everybody that we love. (laughs) But... 
as we said, we've got some guests coming up in an upcoming segment. We're doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. Uh, which we've uh, already recorded to the clairvoyance joy. Enjoy. So we've got two special guests, Ron Martin and Little Miss Horror Nerd Jessica Feeney. Hilarious. So much fun to work with. So stay tuned. You're going to love it. And stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we start into season two with some really kick-ass guests that I think you'll be very excited for. Yeah, a little sneak peek for our, our movie review with Ron and Jessica. This is the only time that I can think of where I had to mute my mic because I couldn't stop laughing and the show must go on. So, hope you enjoy. Weedenverse Podcast Season Average, 2.69 out of 5 stakes. Whoa, that's not the music I'm used to hearing here. That's right. Take a listen to this new unreleased track from Mothers Opposed to the Occult. sneak preview of track 8 off Mothers Opposed to the Cult's debut album coming out February 23rd titled Season 1. See, the band set themselves a unique and interesting challenge. Write one song about every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in an 80s rock anthem style. So check out their album on all the usual digital places Amazon, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and pre-order now. Oh, and what's this track titled, you ask? <sighs> I, Robot... You, Jane. like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Whedoncast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Whedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHWLOD Network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhwlod. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at tangentboundnetwork.com, on Twitter at tangentboundpc, and on Facebook at tangentboundnetwork. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, film.
Written by Joss Whedon. Directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Released July 31st, 1992. All right, back to the Whedonverse podcast. Mr. Universe here, also here with the clairvoyant. Hello. Hello, and we're doing the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. I know you've been waiting for it uh, for so long since we teased you at the beginning, but we did the pilot instead. We're finally doing the movie, and we have some very special guests. Uh, first off, we have Mr. Ron Martin from Resurrection of Zombie 7 Podcast. How are you, Ron? I'm, I'm fine. Let me tell you, you were, you were right to do the pilot first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now I want to introduce our next guest, but if you listen to Resurrection of Zombie 7 Podcast, Ron does such a great job of doing it himself. So, Ron, I'm going to put you on the spot. Why don't you go ahead and introduce your co-host for us the way you would normally on your own show? <laughs> Well, uh, my co-host is from Philadelphia, and she is full of vapid, useless knowledge like everyone in this movie. I'd like to introduce you to you, a Little Miss Horror Nerd, a.k.a. Methuselah, Jessica Feeney. Hi. Hi, Jessica. Sorry that uh, you thought you were going to escape all that torture, and it's just a surrogate coming on here. Well, luckily, he, luckily he didn't have time to make up lies about me. So, <laughs> so you're saying the... Filled the, full of vapid, useless knowledge is correct. No. <laughs> the real question I think your listeners want to know is, is Jessica wearing pants right now? No, I'm not wearing pants. She never wears pants. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I need to wear pants at my own house? Maybe they don't have pants on either. Do you have pants on, Rod? I have shorts on. Okay, well, that's not pants. Well, I hope the listeners are not wearing pants. Well, we hope so as well. That's what we strive for. <laughs> Uh, my belief is that I don't believe you guys have pants in Canada. Is that true? Uh, yeah, actually. We uh, we just wear uh, snow pants all the time. Because I recently learned the whole top of your heads don't come off when you talk, and I was a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I was too, actually, when I realized, when I was old enough to realize. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a... A little anecdote. I know uh, I, I listen to Resurrection, uh, but I've never I've never spoken with you guys, and you probably don't know much about me, the clairvoyant. But here's a little a little fun fact for you guys. Uh, you had Shani Dreadful uh, from Dead as Hell on your show a few times now, I think, and uh, a few episodes back, you she was talking about how she owns all the. I think it's Silent Night, Bloody Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Silent Night, Deadly Night, yeah. She owns all of them, and she said uh, that one handsome, strapping young lad bought all of those movies for her for her birthday. That was me. I. <laughs> <laughs> she retaliated uh, by buying me Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we are about to review. But that was I, I am proud to say that that was my brainchild. <laughs> I will have to uh, listen to the episode again to see if she said young strapping lad. I'm sure she did. You don't have to verify. You are clairvoyant. I guess I don't have to actually. I see all. You got the better end of that deal, my friend. (laughs) So this is really great. I really like this because, Ron, you are a big fan of Buffy, uh, the show. Not so much the movie, if I understand correctly. But you're, this is a rewatch for you, whereas Jessica, you haven't seen the show or the movie, so this is all fresh for you. Well, uh, actually, Ron, you know, he talks about it because he, lo- he loves that show, and Love there's been not, there's never anything on TV. Like, literally, 
I might as well just burn $150 in the middle of my room once a month because there's nothing on TV. <laughs> so I've been watching uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show on Netflix, because all the seasons are on there. And I'm through to like the first two episodes of the second season. We're very proud of you. <laughs> I do like it. I'm going to keep watching it. I mean, literally every night I could watch two or three episodes because there's like nothing, nothing on. Nothing. And watching this movie didn't throw you off that at all? <laughs> no, because um, I... If I know Jessica correctly. Um, she was super confused at the movie, and she probably will forget it by tomorrow. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, no, I, I, they seem like separate vehicles to some extent, obviously. But, right. uh, you know, I, I didn't... I probably, because I saw the show first maybe and also because i'm not that far in that it's probably like a different viewpoint you know like sometimes if you've been it's like if you read a, a bunch of books like a series a series right and then they make it into like a tv show or a movie sometimes you're bummed because you don't like who's casted because you've already decided what they look like in your mind or something you know what i mean or you already have a, right. an idea so but because i've sort of been well i watched them at the same in the same week and I'm not that far along in the show. Maybe it'll be different for me. Maybe. That's what that's what we hope. I'd like to see different viewpoints. That'd be cool. You should just watch the movie every, after every season as an act of like self-flagellation to see how far the show has come. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I've actually been through the entire series uh, three times now, episode by episode. I used to write for uh, 411 Mania, and uh, me and other a group of other writers, we would do uh, an episode, an in-depth review of an episode every week, even though it had been off the air for seven years at that point. So kind of like what we do, but just with our voices. <laughs> yeah. Not not quite as cool as podcasting, but... <laughs> so before we jump into this, I would like to uh, speak directly to our listeners here. Uh, now, the movie we were about to review caused Joss Whedon to actually walk off set and never return. And so I'm going to, this is a bit of a, a bit of writer to writer advice and a cautionary tale for new Hollywood writers out there. Uh, the easiest way to get kind of to make it in Hollywood is to write this thing called a spec script, uh, a speculative screenplay. Uh, it's not commissioned by a studio. It's not really for anyone but yourself. It's the true form of just you have an idea, you write it on the page, and then you try and shop it from studio to studio. If you're talented, a studio will pick it up and start producing it. And if you're lucky, the directors will you know, work with you and try and fully realize your vision on the screen. Now, Joss Whedon is very talented, but he's not so lucky. So he got picked up by this studio called Kuzui Enterprises, run by the enemies of anyone who's ever been a fan <laughs> of Mutant Enemy, uh, Fran Rubel Kuzui and her husband Katsusuke, or Kaz Kuzui. Uh, these people are known as demons, real-life demons, <laughs> who made this movie, and then they went on to make money off of all Buffy and Angel merchandise to ever exist, and then attempted to reboot the movie once all their hard-earned money dried up. <laughs> so these people are also known for not really accepting any of Joss Whedon's input, not really understanding his script, and making a movie how they wanted to make it. And that is the result we are about to see here. So, cautionary tale, spec scripts are the right way to go. Don't be too attached to your script. That was beautiful. That was, I feel enlightened. You should be a motivational speaker. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> so this movie starts uh, in medieval times, and we get a weird kind of version of the In Every Generation Slayer speech. It's it's kind of similar. It's not quite. We find that Slayers have a what appears to be a mole, <laughs> uh, some sort of mark that shows they're the Slayer, which is not it's not explored in the show, at least not. Maybe it's somewhere that we don't see <laughs> <Yeah>. on Sarah. <laughs> it made me question whether Jessica was a slayer. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> you have that nasty mole. <laughs> oh, God, whatever. <laughs> so I thought this intro was kind of cool, except the whole birthmark thing and the fact that it was Donald Sutherland and Christy Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and really bad costumes, too. Like, I, Medieval almost is never done well in... Like, that's why Game of Thrones, I think, is so successful, because they did a Medieval style, but well. And, no, they didn't do it well in this movie. Medieval is almost never done well. <laughs> and it makes me wonder why all the Slayers and all the Dreams are Christy Swanson. Because if they're only... The only similarities, they have the same birthmark. Why do they all have Christy Swanson's face? <laughs> Maybe the birthmark thing was just a big lie. Maybe the birthmark is her face. <laughs> you have to look just like Christy Swanson to be the Slayer. You think vampires would pick up on that by now? <laughs> but uh, the Slayer in this uh, in this medieval time, the Slayer raises her stake and it becomes a pom pom in modern day during a, a way too long cheerleading routine. I know that was long. <laughs> With really bad cheers. Yeah, I like over the top bad. And half these cheerleaders have pants on, and half of them don't. So I don't know if there's a pattern there, or... Like, it, it just seems random. There's, like, three with no pants, one with pants, then one without, and then two with... And I was like, what is... Did they just... Some girls were self-conscious, maybe? I don't know. They were big, bright, purple 90s pants. This uh, and, this movie came out in 92, so I feel like I'm the only one that can speak to this, since you guys weren't born yet, and... <laughs> we and Jessica uh, was already 40. <laughs> I, I graduated was, from high school two years before that don't let them lie to you <laughs> I was in high school and I can verify some girls wore pants and some girls didn't <laughs> <laughs> so stupid <laughs> so one thing that's interesting about this is you know, this is the first time aside from the stupid intro that I've already blocked out of my mind uh, this is the first time we see Christy Swanson and it was actually supposed to be Alyssa Milano in the original uh, original incarnation. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if I can see that. In the series, Buffy does mention that she used to be a cheerleader when she was back in L.A. So that's sort of canon, sort of? Mm-hmm. Maybe this movie she is... had a very bad turn at cheerleading during the series. Mm-hmm. She knows <laughs> in the beginning, in I the first season. Ever that episode, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the pig mascot comes out and he's dancing all weird. I don't even know what their team is. I just know it's something to do with a pig. By the pig mascot, do you mean the actual pig mascot? Or a young Hillary Swank? Because <laughs> I noticed oh, she's no. there too. <laughs> Good call that, on the Hillary Swank thing. Do you guys not like her? Does anybody here like I, her? I don't like her at all. Okay. How about you two? No? No. That's a no? no. Okay. So <laughs> the team, uh, the basketball team that's supposed to be playing, uh, doesn't seem to care about their coach at all. They're not really listening to him. Uh, they're not. There's no team spirit there. There's no school spirit. He's trying to give plans, but to be fair, he doesn't really know what he's talking about because he's not sure in the playbook if there are X's or O's. 
right? And he's all about uh, self-importance and kind of new age stuff. <laughs> you yeah. deserve you deserve to have the ball. Yeah, yeah. You're good for the ball. Do we think that that's a holdover from Whedon's script, or do we think that was added in um, by rewritten by rewriter? It's hard to say. I feel like this character and the school principal, who we'll meet later, they feel like they're like genuinely from the script. Um, but it's hard to say. I think the principal was definitely from the original script. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this cheerleading opening is way too long. And then it cuts to a uh, smash cut, Southern California, the light ages, which is great. Bad, <laughs> bad font, but kind of cool. <laughs> they call it the light ages versus the dark ages. L-I-T-E. Yeah. Uh, and a blonde preppy Christy Swanson's freaking out about how she failed the test. Do you know what I noticed in this scene? We're four minutes in and they've said, they've said heinous twice. <laughs> It's a very We're three minutes and fifty five seconds in, and they say <laughs> heinous twice. <laughs> it must have been heinous. But uh, we don't know at this point who Christy Swanson. I'm just gonna come out and say it's Buffy. You can figure that out by watching it. But she doesn't actually say her name until pretty decently far into the movie. I don't think it's ever said until like twenty minutes in. So it's Buffy. I'm telling you. Well, the name <laughs> of the movie is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Oh, now we know she's a vampire slayer, too? Yeah, I pretty much figured that out. Spoilers. Uh, this is so unlike the Buffy I know. Like, Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy. It is so wrong. It feels so wrong. It's, she's just, you know, vapid and preppy and jumping from one thing to the next. She's more like Cordelia in the early seasons than she is like the Buffy we know. But even Cordelia turned up to, like, 12. <laughs> yeah. You know, we know from the series that Buffy's not super intelligent when it comes to book smart stuff. Right. But this girl is just over the top, like a waste of space. I wrote, what are they even saying? And then in all caps, what are they even saying? <laughs> I was a product of you know this era. I was born the year this movie came out. I don't know. Do people talk like this this year? Because that is like strict Valley Girl talk from 1983. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, they fall in love with this bright yellow uh, crazy lapel jacket. Or rather, Buffy does. Her friends think it's last year's fashion, which is... Last minute, five minutes ago. Yeah. Damn. It's just... That's so, like, unlike... It just bothers me. It's not right. It feels so wrong. I believe Jessica actually owns that jacket. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't have any leather jackets at all. <laughs> but this one's nice and yellow. Yeah, that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, and yellow is... Well, yellow is not a color that really looks good on very many people anyway. No. You have to be, like, super tan and blonde hair, really, to wear yellow. You should, otherwise, it looks crappy. I thought Any Paddington chance. looked good in yellow. <laughs> He's a bear. He's a bear. <laughs> and he is kind of tan. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But, yeah, it's such bad fashion in this and such bad slang. Like it's just it goes without saying because it's '92. But I feel like I had to say it. Well, uh, let me let me say this because you guys were born in '92. '92 uh, was a huge year as far as changing pop culture wise. It's the year Nirvana came out. It's the year that Seattle hit. Uh, it changed everything as far as fashion, music, movies. This this movie is a is a, these characters are set in 1987. 
<laughs> as far as fashion, as far as linguistics go, as far as anything goes. Yeah, I wonder who dressed them and stuff. Like if if uh, he wrote it, but then he doesn't have anything to do with the wardrobe. So yeah. I wonder who decided on like what they were gonna wear. Or, you know. I like to just blame Friend Rubel and Kaz directly for every misstep in this movie. <laughs> I'm down with that. <laughs> but yeah, at this point, so far we don't even know this girl or friends. We're not introduced at all. You're just kind of tossed in, and uh, some creepy dude creeping on them in an es- in an elevator. Uh, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland being creepy. So, Joss Whedon absolutely hates Donald Sutherland. Really? He, yeah, he he says he's a good actor, but he said he's he's rude, he's an absolute dick. He oh. called him a certain thespian who shall remain hated. Uh, apparently, <laughs> he was one of the main reasons that Joss just got off set. He just could not stand him. I can kind of see that, because his, his son is kind of a dick, too. Kiefer? Yeah. So, do it we... doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. Do we think that if Josh had said on the project, though, he would have put a line in there about uh, Merrick looking like that vampire dude from The Lost Boys? (laughs) (laughs) I think he might have. (laughs) It seemed like a waiting thing to do. Maybe later in his career. I don't know if he was that brave earlier on. (laughs) I like that he was in it, though, you know? I like that he was in it because I didn't think there was going to be a lot of recognizable people in it. Like, I didn't look at the IMDb before I watched it. Are you crazy? (laughs) <laughs> I didn't. I just thought it was going to be her, and she hasn't had the greatest career. And Luke Perry, who was, you know, I mean, he was pretty successful until 902. He had a Luke Perry poster, don't lie. <laughs> I didn't, really. No, what do you think this is? Tiger Beat over here? That's <laughs> 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 grief. Uh, Christine Sutherland, who plays Buffy's mom in the series, actually spent, like, a large part of her career pointing out that she's not related to Donald Sutherland. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Which could be the reason she got hired to play Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> it very well could be. But, uh, yeah, later we cut to... After, well, they're going up the elevator. They end up in a movie theater eventually, and they're chatting like uh, preppy high school girls do. And this is the exact reason why I don't go to movie theaters. And uh, some some dudes are behind them, annoyed as hell. Luke Perry's one of them. David Arquette's the other. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, pretty 90s. And they're pretty annoyed. Pretty annoyed by these... And I feel like they're in the right. Like, they're treated almost like they're being jerks about it. But they're definitely in the right. <laughs> but they didn't pay to see the movie. Whatever. These, I don't care if I paid or not. I don't want people talking the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, I'm so old at this point. I would go get someone to ask those girls to leave. <laughs> Excuse me, manager. Yeah, that's how old I am now. But back then in 92, I probably would have just, you know, accidentally spilled my soda on them or something to get them to leave. <laughs> but uh, they uh, they argue a bit. Nothing really comes of it. And then as they're leaving, some jocks pull up. And uh, this is where, you know, it's, it's Buffy, but it doesn't feel Buffy because she flops over the car and she's making out with the one jock. And I was like, no. Buffy, the Buffy I know, Sarah Michelle Gellar would never do that. <laughs> well, Sarah Michelle Gellar would need an uh, an apple box to even get up to the level of the mouth of the. <laughs> <laughs> and she's wearing the skimpiest dress too, and it just feels like so like un unladylike, unBuffy like. It's just not <laughs> not what I like to think about. Let me ask you this though, because I think the the premise, one of the premises of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is to take the ultimate victim of a horror movie and turn things 
on its head and say, no, this is actually the hero of the movie now. And she's going to save everyone. Does this girl not seem more helpless than the Buffy that Sarah Michelle Gellar gives us in the series? That is true. I do feel that she's very much, uh, yeah, if, given the concept, you know, blonde uh, cheerleader goes into the alley and then the monster is the one that comes out crying. Uh, yeah, she she's definitely fitting the bill so far. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure this girl can floss correctly, let alone kill vampires. <laughs> well, I will say that I noticed that she got help more than it seems like the Buffy in the show gets help. Like, people are always showing up yeah. when she's the only one there, and she's sort of, like, half getting her ass kicked by the <laughs> vampires, you know what I mean? And so, and even in that, even in one scene where there was a, a bunch of people, like a bunch of vampires and a bunch of regular people, uh, you know, it was sort of like the vampires just backed off. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I kind of think she's not uh, as strong as the Buffy that was in the show. I think that's, I feel like that's a directing choice. Like, I feel like Joss wanted her to be as strong, but the director's like, she's a girl and just didn't, didn't get well, it. It is an origin story to be fair. So, yeah. right. So, oh, you know, so she's, she's, no, she's not developed. No, no training. None of that. Right. But, uh, this one jock, the one jock that left the car earlier, he's being stalked horror movie style, but not very effectively. Ugly dude. Uh, he's being stalked by a mulleted Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> he's a he's such a baby faced guy, and even when he has a beard, he doesn't pull off the beard. It it looks like he glued it on. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, Jessica. But uh, given the choice, since you're the only female with us today, uh, kind of a who would you rather the 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 jock dude or or Paul Rubens dressed as the vampire? Oh, a jock. <laughs> Ugh, on the other one, no. <laughs> Just um, no. Is it because he's Pee Wee Herman? <laughs> well, I mean, he's not. What if he was dressed as Pee Wee Herman? No, even more no. <laughs> Jock, you said the magic word. Ugh, he's <laughs> just not good. I don't even like Luke Perry. I think if I had to pick anybody in this movie, it would be David Arquette. <laughs> I guess. Benny. You know, I mean, just in uh, general, he's an okay looking guy. I can't forgive David Arquette for invading everything that I love. So I'd have to Luke Perry, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I hated Luke Perry's hair in this, too. Because in 90210, he always had this spiky. And this was like some sort of weird, like they put a bowl on his head or something, even though his hair was really short. The well, way his bangs were cut. All he has is a bowl. yeah not down with him (laughs) on the news report the next day uh, I love what the news reporter says uh, because they describe that I'm assuming the jock you know you're left to assume that the jock was murdered and onlookers said that the neck bites looked like a really gross hickey (laughs) yeah I just wanted them to say, like, apparent cause of death was Paul Rubens in a bad wig. <laughs> I mean, even on the show one time. Oh, it's a way to go. Even <laughs> on the show, when her mom gets bit, uh, they say that the doctor says he thinks <laughs> she fell on a barbecue. Yeah, barbecue fork. fork. Yeah. Like, how, how the f*** did you fall on a barbecue? <laughs> And they don't even have a barbecue fork, too. And... <laughs> she said that. 
They don't even. It's <laughs> ridiculous. They, they just rationalize it in the weirdest ways. Yeah. Seriously, if I like left my house and met somebody and they had that on their neck, even though I don't, I know vampires aren't real, I would still think they got bitten by a vampire. There's no <laughs> way I would think that they fell over a barbecue floor. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> don't make me stick myself with a barbecue fork to prove a point, because I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that stupid. See, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Buffy's. Making popcorn to watch the news, I guess. I don't know why she's really, but she's got popcorn. She sits down with her her boyfriend Jeffrey on the couch, and they start making out because so far, that's the most interaction that they get. That's their high school relationship is just making out whenever they see each other. Her parents are so different. Yeah, definitely. Do you see the dad? I don't know if we. Yeah, you do. Very briefly, very briefly. So, but we think that that Jeffrey got something that night, right? <laughs> well to that news report maybe i mean the parents are gone these guys don't look i mean the way they act i don't think that they're gonna just stop halfway <laughs> i think this buffy's had a little more action than first season yeah, Buffy. yeah she's making out with her boyfriend and then we cut to medieval times where uh, <laughs> a slayer stakes a vampire before a horde of vampires approach and they're very different from the from the show. Like they don't have the same vamp base. They just kind of have spiky ears and pointy teeth and pale. And that's about and it. Paul Rubens is there again, and his beard's <laughs> worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the lead vamp, Lothos, goes to to bite the Slayer. Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. Uh, <laughs> and then Buffy wakes up. It was all a dream. So that was something that was also kept in the series, sort of. The Slayer dreams. The prophetic dreams. Yeah. Dreams. Why do you think he had that awful beard? Do you think it was just that people, they were trying to make him not be recognized as his peewee playhouse person? Maybe, probably. Actually, there's a featurette uh, with Fran Rubel where she talks about how they tried to make him as far detached from peewee Herman as they could. So that could be an attempt of that. Okay, yeah, it makes sense, because he just doesn't look good with a beard. And, no, he doesn't. And the, and then the beard that, I don't know if that was his or if it was like a glue-on thing, but it was just out of control. <laughs> like, it was seriously like somebody, like some hippie from the 60s who just decided that they weren't going to do anything with their beard, they were just going to leave it grow. <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't even like a Santa Claus style thing, or anything. it was just, it was just madness. It, it looked just, like someone, like, just like put a bunch of paste around their mouth and then shoved like hair clippings in their face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like not even a fake beard, just a bunch of hair they cut off their head. And <laughs> yeah. Like when uh, Beavis and Butthead got beards. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, uh, Joss actually liked Paul Rubens. Uh, I don't know if he, he never really mentioned his acting, but Paul Rubens did actually apologize to Joss Whedon for how the movie was turning out. <laughs> so Yeah, during filming, he said, I'm so sorry. And Joss said, I like him. <laughs> I liked Rubens' character in this. I think it's, I think of all the characters, it's probably the most uh, Whedon-like character. I could see that, I could see that vampire in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Luke Perry described him as a, uh, I think he said like a court jester with teeth. Yeah, his name is Amelin, the vampire, but I don't know if it's ever said on screen. I didn't notice till the credits. It is not. No. I just called him Pee Wee Herman in my notes. And Amelin <laughs> is a—it's a girl in this. If you read Joss Whedon's original script, Amelin is not a man. 
And oh. it's not a very masculine name either, because it, oh. you know, it sounds like Amy Lynn. Uh, oh. But then they cast Paul Rubens, and <laughs> maybe that's why they felt the need to give him a beard to, <laughs> <laughs> to prove it's a guy. <laughs> well, Paul Rubens isn't exactly a, a very masculine. No, he's not. <laughs> either, so. uh, down below, Pee Wee Herman's doing a ritual, trying to raise his master, which sounds entirely familiar. <laughs> I mean, not Pee Wee Herman, but yeah, we've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, this is very reminiscent to season one. It is all kind of short, quick, like, throw away. Like, it never really is touched on much. Right. It's just kind of like, well, that happened, and then cut to another scene. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered about vampires trying to raise their master. It just seems like, let's race. I want to bring this person back so he can boss me around and physically... <laughs> You're lost without him. Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> And that is really a weird thought. I never thought of it. Why would they want to raise their master? Like, are they well, that cultist? Even, like, thinking about it, how in season one of Buffy, the Order of Aurelius wanted to raise the master, and the master's endgame was to raise the old ones, which are, like, the giant demons that boss around the vampires. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> you just want to live a life of, like... Of servitude. Servitude, obedience. I would like to think that if something were ever to happen to me... That Jessica would go through some sort of strange ritual. Podcasts. Yeah, I would be really sad if you something bad happened to you. That's horrible. <laughs> to abuse you on a new podcast. <laughs> it, then the name Resurrection of Zombie 7 would make much more sense. Yeah, it would take on a whole new meaning. That's you can sure. change it. Resurrection of Zombie 8. <laughs> zombie 8's already got plans, and we have to go to Zombie 9. <laughs> But uh, meanwhile, at Hemery High School, which is apparently where Buffy goes to school, not, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting, but that's not it. <laughs> they mentioned that she goes to Hemery in Buffy season one. Do they? Well, they perhaps are doing preppy girl things. I don't even, it didn't even catch my ear. The dialogue just blew right past me what they were even <laughs> doing because it just, I didn't care. The writing is so joss, but the delivery and the directing is so wrong that it just, it doesn't feel right. Isn't that when they're talking about a theme for the school dance. Yeah. Getting rid of the ozone layer and <laughs> yeah, like the game that I played was let's pick which line of this is from Joss's original script. <laughs> it's weird cuz you can always tell. You can like you're like wow, that's a Joss line. They said it so wrong. <laughs> but uh Buffy and her friend later are talking about it like sort of a bronze knockoff. Are talking about the senior dance and her friend shows up with the ugly the ugly ass yellow Hillary jacket. Shows up. Yeah. <laughs> so catty. Like yeah, why is... that's, that's what I wrote. Caddy. That whole scene was so catty. Just like, wow, I don't care about this at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the jerks from the movie theater are harassing the girls and they hit on them before they realize who they are. And uh Buffy finally for the first time says her name. She says I'm Buffy. Which we're pretty far in the movie and we didn't even know the main character's name yet. <laughs> I don't think we knew anyone's name, did no, we? No, they haven't told you a thing. Uh, and the guy introduced, Luke Perry introduced himself as Pike, which is not a name, it's a fish, as Buffy points out. Actually, his last name, his name's Oliver Pike, but I don't think they ever say Oliver in the script at all. Or they say in the script, but not in the movie. But uh, they're, uh, they're broke. Oliver, because he's homeless and probably a pickpocket. <laughs> That's a callback to Oliver the musical. I can see it. <laughs> Joss, maybe he is Oliver grown up and he moved to America. Yeah, My modern twist part. and Oliver twist. 
My favorite part of this uh, this scene is is when Luke Perry and David Arquette get the one hot dog that they can afford. <laughs> and they split it. <laughs> and Arquette gets the hot dog, Perry gets the bun. <laughs> yeah. He's, and, uh, yeah, David Arquette's character, Benny, he's very sexual in innuendo. He's like, I got something for you, and he's holding the hot dog to his that I am positive Joss didn't write that. <laughs> I was like, no way. Why would oh I'd be so mad if I that was thrown into my movie. Well, I didn't believe that until I read like the first five episodes of the season eight comics that Joss supposedly wrote. Right. Because they're, they're very I don't know. Sexual these comics are this strange. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to see what he could get away with after the show was done. That's my excuse but I think for maybe those that. I think maybe that Arquette just does that all the time. <laughs> That's how he picks up chicks. That's how he picks up Courtney Cox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Buffy splits splits it. Splits it in half. <laughs> Which uh, makes Luke Perry spit out his hot dog bun because of the imagery there. <laughs> uh. Walking alone at night later, Benny and Pike, they're, they're shooting the sh- They're really talking about nothing important, as most of the conversations in this movie are. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. They just kind of pass out, pass out a little bit. Drunk, because they're drunk all the time. And uh, Paul Rubens bites Benny, but uh, Donald Sutherland comes out of nowhere and saves Pike. Oh, which, no. what's a like? What a weirdly paced scene. Like it just didn't feel <laughs> like that's supposed to be tense because that just felt really weird. Also, it's the first time I think it's the first time we see vampires fly, unless we see it in one of the dream sequences. Because Paul Rubens, like, that's definitely a cliff that he <laughs> pulled him off of. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I noticed that, too. He just kind of swiped him over the side of whatever that was, <laughs> and then he was gone. And then the other, and then Pike was getting rescued. In yeah. some vampire mythology, vampires can fly. And so I guess that this is what they're going with. But uh, That's obviously think, not retained in the show. <laughs> do we think that uh, Pike is someone of note? Since... Uh, Merrick comes along and kind of pulls them out, and then he gets to hang out with them later without any questions asked. I don't know. Maybe Merrick thinks he's cute. It's quite possible. <laughs> maybe he's a fan of 90210. <laughs> <laughs> to seem like any watcher like worth a spit would just be like, okay, well, whatever. This guy. Yeah, yeah he's not <laughs> supposed to get involved. Well, he certainly didn't get involved with the the vampire eating David Arquette. <laughs> Would you say it happened? Would you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't even focus on the dialogue in this movie. It feels so weird. <laughs> like every scene, just kind of, they were talking like the people from the Charlie the Peanuts films, and then every once in a while <laughs> they would say something important. But other than that, it was just wah, wah, wah. like I just, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I felt like there were some funny lines in the movie that I laughed at, and but the. There but the some... girls were really bad. Like, they were not developed at all, and they were annoying, and you didn't care about them at all, and they had no good, like, the friend girl, you know, like, yeah. the, they just didn't have any, like, in the show, you know, the other girls get some decent lines, and they can be funny, but these girls were just all annoying. Like, just wanted to punch them all in their faces. Even Cordelia and Harmony are, like, so stupid it's funny. These ones are just stupid, and you don't know what they're saying. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like they, I feel like and Buffy is included in this this little group that they had was so unlikable in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film. 
yeah. know if they'd have enough time to bring them back around to where we would actually care. Yeah. It's a TV show. You have a series to make Cordelia likable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Well, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie where I disliked characters so much in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like you're uh, you're holding back some repressed thoughts and you're projecting a little. It could be. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in cheerleading practice later, Buffy's practicing with friends. They leave. She's just doing some handsprings by herself. You know, whatever whatever girls do. And because whenever we're not doing that's what the girls do. <laughs> but uh, I can assure you that is not what the girls are doing. <laughs> All of them, anyway. But uh, Donald Sutherland pops up, just watching. Uh, creepy, creepy as always with his like fedora or whatever kind of hat it was. And does that happen every time girls do handstands? Just Donald Sutherland shows up, <laughs> follow me to the graveyard. <laughs> and yeah, he tells her that he's looking for her. He knows her name, so she's a bit creeped out. And he tells her that he needs to train her and bring her her birthright, which she thinks is a trust fund. Which is, I bet is a Joss line, if we're placing bets. I have used that line on many girls in many bars. It's never, ever worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, he invites her to the graveyard, which, you know, he seems like a sensible enough man to realize that that's not going to work for any reasonable person you just say hey come to the graveyard with me i want to show you something no nobody's gonna do that <laughs> uh, she well, says in her 20s might have <laughs> some stories that i've heard <laughs> maybe if there was beer there <laughs> say if you had a little bit of alcohol <laughs> i might show up <laughs> so you're saying if donald sutherland just came up to you and he's like follow me to the graveyard like, i don't know he's like, there's beer you'd go <laughs> I mean, there. I might need a few other people with us since he's well, a strange, he's a strange man. If you put it like that, who's not gonna go? <laughs> it shows up and is like, I need to take you to the graveyard right now. <laughs> if it's just some weird old man, okay, you're probably not doing it. But if it's Donald Sutherland in a bowler hat, yeah, <laughs> like if I recognized him and I knew it was Donald Sutherland, then yeah, I would probably go. <laughs> you're like, am I a slayer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bobby says, what's your damage? Which is a very, like, we were drawing parallels how she's kind of like a worse Cordelia. That's a line that Cordelia legitimately says uh, at the beginning of the series. So, very Cordelia. Well, I don't know if it originated here, but do you know what movie they said that in? What movie would that be? They said that in Heathers. And Heathers came out in 1988. I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's Christian Slater, uh, Winona Ryder, and a... Shannon Doherty and a couple other girls. I don't know. I don't know if I have. It's an awesome it's movie. It's a dark comedy. Yes. And it's from 88. And they say that. And they have all kinds of cool lines like that in that movie. Hey. Maybe I'll have to check it out. It sounds like my cup of tea. Well, I wonder if he took it from that. Do you, do you think that's possible, Ron? Like, do you think? Because he's... Uh, I mean, it's just how Sweden talks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I know that uh, in... The series, some of the writers would intentionally, when they wrote the scripts, they would take lines meant for one character and give them to another character. And when they would do the read through, reading would almost always be like, uh, that's a Willow line. Wow. <laughs> that's a Sander line. And I think that's what happened here, but he wasn't there to be like, yeah, you got that on the wrong character. Possible. <laughs> Probable. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, this guy introduces himself. He says his name's Merrick, so we don't have to call him Donald Sutherland anymore, but we probably will. Huh. Yeah, Buffy thinks this guy's crazy, which, you know, fair. 
That's fair. Uh, but she starts to leave, and he brings up her Slayer dreams, which I don't understand. Because he's got her attention, but how does he know about all the dreams? Is it a common he pattern? he all of these girls. But is it a common pattern? Like, he, like, lists them, like, in order. And, like, and she's like, yep. Oh, and then this one was next. And like, wow. He really uh, catalogs <laughs> other people's dreams, sleep patterns. Well, if he's to be believed, he was actually present at all those events. Yeah. And he's just been doing this for so long. It's just like a checklist. Like, get so sick of convincing girls they're the Slayer. Like, why do they never believe me every time? <laughs> he needs to change up his tactics, I think. They always think I'm a creep. <laughs> I will say this, that the, the one thing I am so happy did not carry over into the actual series is uh, the the menstrual cramping whenever there's a vampire around. Oh my God. No, that was really stupid. <laughs> they couldn't even keep that consistent throughout the hour and a half movie. I don't know if it was supposed to be a metaphor or like a what it was supposed to be, but it, it made no sense. It was bad. I'm glad it got cut. I'm so glad. <laughs> I mean, Isn't I don't this... know what the connection would even be. Like, what is it? Like a shark that, you know, smells blood or something in the water if a person gets cut? I don't get it. I don't know. Spidey sense. He said in the movie that it was a natural thing that would warn you of something unnatural. Yeah, like you said, they didn't even keep it consistent in the movie, but I'm really glad they eliminated that because, wow, would that ever, like, element of surprise? Like, the whole, even, like, look at Angel. Not knowing Angel is a vampire for the first seven episodes. That would really suck since the writers didn't even know he was going to be a vampire for, like, the first five. Yeah, because they'd be like, whoops. <laughs> Maybe that's why they cut it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he gives her a summary of... All the scenes we saw, and tells her that the guy that she was fighting in the dreams was Lothos, which we kind of caught briefly. And we can surmise for Bobby Vans that Merrick is a watcher, if if it's not immediately obvious. So he would be a Giles? He That's would be a I was... Giles. I prefer okay. Giles, but... <laughs> yeah, I actually do too, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would think everyone who's not related to Donald Sutherland probably prefers Giles. <laughs> a lot of them probably do too. <laughs> But they do go to the graveyard. They to a fresh, a freshly dug grave. One thing I think that is interesting to note is just the like. I mean, Merrick Jameson Smith and like, uh, I can't even remember Giles' first name right now. Rupert. Rupert Giles. <laughs> Very different characters. Like they, they're both watchers. To I mean, they're watchers in a very different sense because one is a reincarnation of donald sutherland for thousands of years and one is a guy who is trained from a young age but the you know how very different they are while remaining in the same role yeah you know, giles feels so much less serious and so much more fatherly than jameson smith and he's not even english and it's a pretty big deal in the show that the watches have to be english they got a Canadian. <laughs> Take that, America. <laughs> I think the proper analogy, though, is Giles on the f- the first that one first two-parter. Because we don't get a chance to see Merrick evolve yeah, into what fair. Giles would eventually become. Yeah. But, but it still, I mean, it still holds true. Just I don't think it's much. Giles was pretty stuffy the first few episodes. That's true. But uh, this vampire that they're waiting for does rise. America is really awful at fighting him. He tells Buffy he's going to show her. But he can't even do a thing. Like he, the second the vampire gets out, he tackles him, and then they're in like a deadlock. And it's like, how did that happen? You could have just staked him. This is obviously why he keeps getting reincarnated as a watcher. 
He's like, I'll get it one of these years. <laughs> but uh, meanwhile, another vampire rises and grabs Buffy's feet. And this is just ridiculous. They're, they're not even trying to fight these vampires. They're just kind of tumbling around with them. <laughs> she hits them once and then stakes them. Like, that's every fight in the yeah. movie. And she, uh, so she stakes them both, and they don't dust. Like, in the show, they dust. In the movie, they just fall, which yeah. would leave a lot of suspicious bodies. <laughs> <laughs> They're not accounted for, yeah. Well, not only that, but how would you know they were they were actually gone then? Like, that, yeah. I, I would be paranoid that they weren't actually dead if I, if I were her. You can't really check for a pulse, so... <laughs> Nope, no, but, you can't. <laughs> and she uh, she totally missed the heart on both those vampires. Got him in, like, the stomach. I noticed that, like, very rarely throughout this entire movie does she ever get anywhere close to the heart. <laughs> and they look she, like they ran into the stake intentionally. Like, they didn't, like... Like, they obviously were extras or stunt people, and they knew they were going to get staked, but they didn't look like they were avoiding it at all. They were, like, waiting. That's acting 101. You're supposed to be surprised. <laughs> the, the vampires in this movie all attack Black Ninja style. <laughs> Which is falling, uh, a falling out of every group of bad characters in every movie ever. This is why the bad guys always lose. Because yeah. they attack one at a time. But it's just really bad acting. It's, and bad just everything. It was just bad. And meanwhile, Benny wakes up Pike. And he's outside his window. This scene's legitimately... I liked it. A little bit cool. A little bit. I'll give it a little bit of credit. I liked it because this scene is directly parodying a scene from Salem's Lot. Yeah, I was just thinking that. But he uh, he asked him to let him in. And he says, wait a minute, what's wrong with you? Are you on something? And we see that Pike lives on a really high floor, and Benny is hovering there. Which yeah. is pretty cool, and that's, yeah, Salem's Lot. Uh, Benny's hungry, and <laughs> Pike has such a nonchalant reaction to it. He's just like, come on, man, you're floating. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> man, go home, you're floating. <laughs> Benny keeps asking to be let in, and this is some more vamp lore that they actually did keep in the show. You know, letting you have to be invited, invited in, but floating is not. That's dumb. I'm glad they cut that. That'd be weird. <laughs> well, that, is uh, that, is that? Go ahead, Jessica. I was just gonna say, is the letting in thing because that was in the True Blood show and in the books that that show originated from, and I remembered like seeing that in other vampire stories. Is that like a one uh, theme that runs like you know through a lot of vampire stuff. Yeah, it's pretty common. Uh, Wasn't uh, in some sort of low rent hotel room. Yeah, it would look like it was above like a. Well, maybe because we see later that he's a mechanic, so maybe it's above his mechanic shop. It almost looks like. I was just wondering how the inviting uh, lore worked with hotel rooms. Yeah. Oh, because it's not your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe until 11 in the morning the next day, they can yeah. come in. <laughs> <laughs> they do play with uh, the invitation thing a few times, I know. I can't think of any specific instances, but yeah, there's some places where vampires can go in without an invitation because of special circumstances. Yeah, public places, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Merrick later tells Buffy that she has to skip cheerleading practice to, uh, to, to go hunting. And Ron, do you think Giles would condone this, knowing Giles as well as you do? Do you think he'd tell her, tell her to skip? No, no, Giles would be all about the going to cheerleading. <laughs> well, well, Buffy, you must go to cheerleading, and then you can stay. <laughs> but yeah, I no, can... of course, no, Giles. I Giles would. Um, he would probably try and do it himself. A faint effort to get her to quit cheerleading. 
uh, but would be unsuccessful and would not attempt it ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Which pretty much happened. <laughs> it did happen. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, Buffy gets home. And a great line. This one is definitely Jaws. Buffy's mom says, do you know what time it is? She, around 10? She's like, I knew this watch was slow. <laughs> Honey, we're going to be late. <laughs> like, it's so weird to see a glimmer of his voice every now and then in the script. Like, when the line is delivered correctly. And you're like, wow, that was actually done good done well but uh, yeah buffy lays down in bed and there's a dude there she lays on a dude and she's pretty chill about it he even hands her like her stuffed mr gordo and yeah (laughs) imagine how terrifying it would be if you're just like going to bed and like instead of a pillow you have like rutger hauer (laughs) (laughs) well hasn't that happened to everybody every now and then (laughs) and like not just regular rutger hauer like rutger hauer like dressed up as like that guy who wrote like the the crow or the raven or whatever, the, the Edgar that Allan like Poe. old writer that married yeah, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. <laughs> yeah, I thought like more like a Highlander. <laughs> but uh, it's just a dream, so that's that's good. Did Mister Gordo make a cameo in this? Not really. It was just a stuffed animal. I don't think it was Mister Gordo. Down below, PB Herman's uh, terrorizing some poor girl named Cassandra. That I don't know if there's any significance to this scene. They mentioned her earlier. Buffy was supposed to study with her, but she didn't show. And uh, yeah, doesn't she borrow the jacket too? Didn't she, also, she borrow? Yeah, she also borrowed Hilary Swank's jacket, or Buffy yeah. lent it to her. Yeah, and let's yeah. be honest, PB Herman's made a living out of terrorizing poor girls. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rutger Hauer flies in looking a lot like Dracula. You know, with the cape and the just the suit. Yeah. I was like, what are you trying to do here, really? That's just <laughs> vampire. That's just stereotypical vampire at that point. Yeah. Right, these are all generic stereotype vampires, except for P.B. Herman. Yeah. And uh, at school, Buffy's getting ready in the locker room. And uh, Merrick's there. <laughs> Creepy <laughs> as all hell. She's like, what are you doing here? This is a naked place. <laughs> naked place, that definitely, wa- that definitely was Joss. Yeah. And, but it's so weird that he's like he just kind of peeps around a corner like he just she's talking and then just bloop he just comes around a corner like whoa <laughs> around this time uh i realized that every time i watch this movie i get just this pounding headache <laughs> <laughs> the scary part is he doesn't have any magical powers that we know of <laughs> he's been crouching there behind the lockers for like an hour now <laughs> so he's gotten into the school and the girls locker room without anyone noticing <laughs> Bribe the janitor. It's time to hire some security. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's upset with Buffy because she didn't skip practice, which is backwards. And he calls Buffy undisciplined and frivolous, which at least that hasn't changed. <laughs> but she's so just vapid. That has. Like, I just. It bothers me how, unlike. I can't state it enough how different she is. I Even like though her- I hated this version of Buffy as well. Yeah. In this version of Buffy's defense, our version of Buffy, when we see her in the series, she's already gone through something. Yeah. Yeah. She knows she's a slayer and she's made some changes in her life already. Maybe uh, she was closer to this before that event. Maybe. So we just finished season one. And so Buffy lists that she says she doesn't want to be the slayer. And she lists a checklist of the things she does want to do. 
as I'm going to keep track of these, because I know she accomplishes some of them, and so far she's already accomplished one of them by the end of season one. She says she doesn't want to be the Slayer. She wants to graduate from high school, go to Europe, marry Christian Slayer, or if you're reading the original script, Charlie Sheen, and die. <laughs> uh, she's died. We're yeah. at one out of four. So uh, we're season one and one out of four so far. And I'm going to keep a track. I'm going to keep track of these and see how many she does accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he, she kind of shoes him away, and as he comes back, this bothers me more than probably anything in this movie. He curls up his mustache just quickly, like flicks it with both fingers. Yeah, I was like, "Why did you do that?" And then he throws a knife at her, like that was like him prepping mentally. And then he throws a <laughs> knife, and she catches it. But I think I'd be too. Maybe he did that to distract her. I'd be too distracted to catch the knife, no matter how much Slayer strength I had. I'd be like, "Why did he do that?" And I just psh, right in the face. Well, I like that. that. I like that scene. The mustache. She likes mustache. She no, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, I actually liked her response to him throwing the knife at her head. You, I thought that was kind of funny. You threw a knife in my head. You caught it. Yeah, but you threw a knife in my head. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Do you think that I, I'm assuming this applies to all three of you? Do you think the movie would annoy you as much if the series came first and then? the movie after like in other words if would that be as annoying to you it'd be worse, or, it'd be worse. absolutely <laughs> zero to ten if <laughs> this was molded after the movie or after the show yeah i can agree i agree with them but i think the question that you want to ask is would it annoy you as badly if the series did not exist probably not <laughs> it, i still wouldn't enjoy the movie so much but i wouldn't hate it as bad as i do yeah, that's a good point because you wouldn't have nothing to compare it to. Right. So right. it would just it would just be like a, a you know kind of a crappy just a blip on my right. Um, exactly. It would be something that that we'd forgotten about until VH1 brought it back up on one of their I remember the knife <laughs> specials. Yeah. <laughs> How bad do you think Merrick would feel if he just he turned he threw the knife and she just didn't catch it like just killed her right? There. He's, oh, like <laughs> I thought that was the point. <laughs> Like I kind of like this response was I would know you weren't the one if you didn't catch it. <laughs> He's like, wow, damn! Like, <laughs> Man sneaks into girls' locker room and throws a knife. How many girls does he do that to that he thinks are the Slayer and he's wrong? <laughs> well, it's pretty easy to tell. It's Christy Swanson with a birthmark. <laughs> they, they all look the same. Yeah. And where is the birthmark? Like he it's, didn't ask to see it or nothing. Yeah, I guess. Well, she says she's had it removed. No, she said she wanted to get it removed, didn't she? I think she said she had it removed. Oh. Yeah, I think she said she got rid of it, too. Because she said it was gross or whatever. <laughs> yeah, she they argue a little bit. And uh, she said she doesn't want to be the chosen one, which they stuck with that, which is a good theme to stick with. It's kind of like Slayer that doesn't want to be. It's it, it's a simple idea, but it's effective. But after they argue, she just she pops someone right in the nose, just punches them out. And she's pumped because she's never hit anybody and she didn't even break a nail. <laughs> he flies back a little bit, too. Yeah. He he tells her that she's pretty good at punching, so that's a plus. Well, throughout the movie, it's I think it's hinted at that she's more powerful than the other slayers that he's trained. Yeah, which seems I, have, like. I have no idea, like why, like they didn't they didn't build that up in the movie. We have no idea. He just says, "Yeah, she's probably and, more powerful than the others." Probably. Yeah, and Merrick says Merrick is he's the one who's telling us she's more powerful, but he's basing it off of nothing. He's like, wow, she doesn't listen. She doesn't even she has no training, 
but just something about me tells me that she's more powerful than all the others. Maybe he does this every time, and he's just like, I swear this one's better. <laughs> <laughs> this one will be better. Crossed fingers. It's like a coaching technique. You tell every everyone in your quarterbacks that he's the best quarterback you've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently uh, Buffy punching things uh, becomes an addiction because we cut to her punching a, a bunch of things, punching bags and all sorts of Training things. Training montage. And we get a really long training montage at first it was kind of cool and then it got excessive which this movie has a problem with it excessively long scenes <laughs> she also beats up people that just like get on her nerves that aren't vampires and i don't i i don't i mean maybe i missed it but i don't remember seeing that so far in the show no it seems like she reserves the beatings for the people who are vampires whereas this one like if she gets like she got offended by some guy in the hallway or whatever. Somebody did something to her, grabbed her, and she like threw the guy on the floor against the locker or whatever. So she's just like beating up random guys that get on her nerves too. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's exclusively vampires in the series because we have praying mantises and we have dummies. Right, and... but, <laughs> right, but monsters. She reserves it for monsters. I I don't remember her just beating up people that got on her nerves that weren't monsters. Yeah. But, uh, I would think that you would enjoy that, Jessica. Isn't that pretty much what you do? <laughs> I don't beat anybody up. I don't have the energy for that. I'm too old. <laughs> but, uh, unlike Giles, Merrick doesn't need no pads to block Buffy's punches. So he's a little <laughs> bit tougher than Giles, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it was really excessive. Like, just too long of a training montage. Oh, yes. Who would want to fight between Merrick and Giles? Depends what the situation is, I guess. But the thing guess... is, Giles dies and Giles is dead. <laughs> Merrick dies, he's going to come back and just beat up Giles some more. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I wonder if he... Is he reincarnated as a baby? <laughs> and grows up to a full-grown <laughs> man again? Or is he just like, how does that work? His teenage years, he's like, damn it, this again? <laughs> well, That's why he cow. took so long to get to Buffy. He had to wait till he was the right age. If he's if he get if he got reincarnated though, would he just come back at the age that he is now, or would he have to start all over from the beginning? He mentioned at one point that he's like born with the, born with the knowledge or something. So does is like, is there like a baby going around trying to train a Slayer? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I I actually thought about that during the movie, but uh, at school the principal calls Buffy into his office. Stephen Root. <laughs> Like, from King of the Hill. Yeah. Steven Root is amazing. Just think of me as Gary Murray, party guy. <laughs> so tell me, it's drugs, isn't it? And then he goes on this long story about all the drugs he used to do and just talking about his trips in detail. <laughs> Joss Whedon definitely wrote. That was, like, this is probably my favorite scene of the whole thing. It felt like Principal Flutie, kind of. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, Principal Flutie. <laughs> <laughs> rest, rest his soul. Yeah, I liked him. I was upset. But uh, Buffy's not really listening about his, his 60s era, and she spits her gum at a fly, which really bugged me quite a bit. <laughs> that was attack, yo. Was it attack? Yeah, she put attack in her mouth and spit it, and it, it attacked the fly to the wall. That was so bad. <laughs> Why did that even happen? But let's go back to Gary Murray's anecdote about a Doobie Brothers concert. <laughs> he's talking about like music flowing into his fingers and him becoming a toaster and looking at his friend and she's a balloon and he starts freaking out. And... <laughs> like it was just oh, what was he on? <laughs> he said acid. I can't. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I can vouch for that kind of stuff happening when you're on acid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. 
Yeah, meanwhile, Pike is warning his co-workers about Benny. And I know a sign on the door in the background that said, In God we trust, but everyone else pay cash. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Seen that sign. <laughs> but uh, Buffy's in the alley patrolling. Meanwhile, she starts singing for whatever reason. Musical. <laughs> and uh, a vampire jumps down out of nowhere, but Buffy throws <laughs> a stake right at his stomach. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, first, she's like getting her vamp cramps. And then, yeah, this guy, and she throws it like she did in training. She missed in training. She missed in the field, too. Just right in the stomach. But he he dies, so maybe that's where his heart was located. Maybe the heart shifts after you become a vampire, and you just have to sense where it is. Yeah, that's what the cramps do. Vampire, to move your heart around. Those <laughs> guys that she's killing, they don't have that power. But uh, Merrick was timing Buffy, which is very Giles of him to do. And Buffy tells him that she was just luring him into a tramp. A tramp. A trap. <laughs> luring him into a trap. <laughs> it's not as cool as it sounds. <laughs> but we, uh, we learn all about the vamp cramps and the, her secret weapon is PMS, according to her. <laughs> and, oh, I'm just so glad it's gone. Now that we know what this is, Jessica, um, maybe you have a vampire living around you. <laughs> Why do you say that? Like every time that we do the show, you have cramps. Oh, because, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I do. I mean, I've seen some of the people that live in this building, and they're very questionable, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is where we learn, as we've said a bunch of times this episode, so it's not a surprise, that, you know, the Slayer, like the Slayer, the Watcher's reincarnated. Uh, but the not... Slayer doesn't appear to be. Watcher's reincarnated. He has the same knowledge. He, he, you know, he knows he's reincarnated. The Slayer appears to be a different girl every time who doesn't retain any of the knowledge, and that's, you know, that's the reason for a Watcher. They just happen to all look like Christy Swanson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's very unlike the show. I'm glad it changed. <laughs> so if Merrick is the sole Watcher who's reincarnated every time... Then Merrick is Giles. He tells her several times that he got there a few years too late. Yeah, like, you had one job, <laughs> your whole life. This is the reason you exist, <laughs> and you missed it by years. <laughs> he was at the Doobie Brothers concert, and he was just busy. <laughs> he went there too. <laughs> that was a hell of a. I need to start going to Doobie Brothers concert. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the Doobie Brothers concert, and he thought he was with Toast. <laughs> yeah. like, I thought I was with the Slayer, but it was just a random dude named Henry. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, they have a heart-to-heart about all this, about how he can't interfere, and they talk about what they wish they could have done with their lives. Merrick wanted to make her boots, <laughs> and Buffy wanted to be a buyer of some sort. Yeah, I thought she was going to say, so when she said that, I literally thought that she was talking about, because there are people that are hired by department stores, uh, big department stores, that they that's what they do. They, yeah. they buy the clothes for the store. They're the one that chooses all the clothes, or maybe they have them for each department. And then she's just like, oh, just a buyer. <laughs> yeah. it, just sounds think, great. it just sounds good. It's a buyer. Whatever. I think, yeah, someone told her about the job you know that you're referring to, and she just heard, like, buyer, and she's like, I don't really know what they do, but wow, does that sound like the job for me. <laughs> yeah, like, I thought that she was going to relate it to fashion, because she kept saying how she had this great fashion sense, and I'm like, why doesn't she c- 
clarify what kind of buyer she's talking about. She, just wants to buy. she was down with that leather yellow jacket. I don't know that she has the greatest fashion. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying she does. I'm just saying that because she says that all the time and then that job, that's what that is. I'm like, I, but I don't understand why they, they didn't put that. I think like this scene is, is the most likable that she is in the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I feel like this scene, I, it, it was all right. It could have been done a lot better. Like I, I liked the idea that where we get some humanism from Merrick and talking about how, you know, he, it, it almost seems like he just kind of wants to die. He was so excited about the prospect of heaven and, uh, you know, he, he, boots and making boots. Making boots. He makes a joke <laughs> in this scene. And, uh, you know, I feel like this scene could have been better. It was written really well. I really I enjoyed the writing. But I just, maybe it's because I just did not care enough about these characters that this scene had little effect on me. Yeah. Yeah, at this point in the movie, you've already made up your mind about the characters, and there's very little that they can do to bring you back. <laughs> yeah. But Merrick does make a joke. Yeah. Bobby asked if he wants to lay down after that. <laughs> I don't remember what his joke was. It that was... Uh, vampires of the world beware of Buffy's keen fashion sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, meanwhile, Pike's car breaks down and he gets flanked by vampires, led by PB Herman. <laughs> uh, who he has the stupidest scream. He guns it with uh, with PB Herman on his dash, and he just screams. But it's a not a good horror scream. He's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> See, so that's what... what happens to me, the visions I have when I go to Doobie Brothers concerts. <laughs> Surrounded by vampires, flanked by Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Not a good time. So <laughs> Roger Hauer mentions this later, but what the hell is Paul Rubin's character thinking? Because he says, you're a 1,200-year-old vampire, but you're acting like a child. Like What, what did he think he was going to do in this? Why are they surrounding Pike? And, you know, he just jumped on the hood of this guy's car. <laughs> like... Yeah, this is you were twelve hundred and you didn't get there by doing shit like this. <laughs> yeah, this vampire is twelve hundred years old, and this teenager who is probably drunk off his ass and has only eaten a hot dog bun in the last five days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, driving through the thick, Pee Wee punches a hole, and yeah, he, he hits a low hanging tree and dismembers his arm, just knocks it right off, and. And then he crashes into a tree, and his guitar flies through the windshield, which is worthless. I he was him for a second. Yeah, me too. I was like, "Wow, he's pretty small." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just too much Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> but, uh, Something goes through the windshield. You assume it's the driver. Yeah, but Pee Wee's <laughs> that he ruined his new jacket, and he orders his minions to kill him a lot. <laughs> I know. Which is a, an excellent line. And, uh, Pike smashes the guitar on a vampire and accomplishes absolutely nothing except wrecking his guitar. <laughs> it works in wrestling. <laughs> but uh, Buffy comes out of nowhere and, and stakes a vampire. In the stomach. And then uh, breaks off the neck of the guitar and stakes another one. Which, why doesn't she reuse stakes in this one? She just leaves them in the body. She's like, whatever. Well, maybe you have to, since they don't dust. Yeah, maybe you got to keep it in there. It's kind of like a, a key that locks them in there. A plug. Do you think? Do you think it would hurt if somebody hit you with a guitar? Oh, uh, not that dude. Not a balsa wood guitar. That's a vampire. <laughs> but I mean, a regular person, because they look like they break so easy. Maybe it's hard to a say. Person or the guitar? We'll have to test it. 
I'm saying if somebody hit one of you with a guitar, do you think it would hurt? Well, I've been hit with a guitar, and it does hurt. <laughs> a lot. Of all Not the people I know, you're the only one that would say you were actually hit <laughs> Uh, I don't know. They just look flimsy. They look like they break easily when I see people hit with them. That's why I thought, well, maybe that doesn't really hurt. Well, let me hit and have the guitar. <laughs> That's really the only way we're going to solve this. Go for like an electric one. <laughs> Yikes. Now that would hurt. I'm probably reading way too much into this, but I think this hints at Buffy's resourcefulness, which she becomes famous for in yeah. the series. Yeah. That's what I, I thought, too. Yeah, they even mentioned it. She's like, I, I improvised. But uh, Pike, after processing the situation, faints. Uh, and then later... That's his move. That's like his move. Yeah. Later, uh, Buffy brings him home. Maybe that was his plan all along. And he's asking her questions about vampires and slaying. And she opens up about how her life has changed so much. And there's some weird sexual tension, which is unwarranted and unnecessary. <laughs> I, I didn't ship it at all. Unwanted, by the way. Yeah. But uh, Buffy invites him to stay in the guest room. He doesn't. He stays right in the living room where anybody can find him. And well, if you just got chased by two vampires for the first time ever, you're probably not sleeping that night. No, I guess. At least not till the sun comes up. But underground, Lothos is complaining at Pee Wee Herman. And as you know, we did last last episode, we had an interview with the actor Mark Metcalf, who played the master. And he described Rucker Hauer as a lounge lizard. And <laughs> That's exactly what's going through my mind in the scene. Like he looks like a lounge lizard, man. <laughs> every time, every time I saw Rutger Howard, it just—I just heard Mark Metcalf in my head saying "lounge lizard." So, <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened to that episode yet. I'm excited to listen to that. Lothos will be in his chambers with a snack, which is a kitty. And Jessica, how do you feel about that? I wasn't happy, but I mean, it, like, <laughs> like at least they didn't kill the cat on. Like, if it's a really unrealistic thing or the animal's not actually killed on camera, then I'm okay. But I've seen some ones in movies that were disturbing, disturbingly realistic, and then I don't like that because it's upsetting. What if he had bitten to the cat right then and there? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> they weren't raw enough to do that in this movie. <laughs> See, it's funny because why is he eating a kid? I also, I really like the line, I'll be in my chamber. I don't understand that it either. It felt familiar. <laughs> I don't understand that either. That's really stupid. Like, and in those Stephanie Meyer books, they don't eat, they don't drink from people. They eat, they go hunting and they get like a bear or something big and they drain that. So yeah, if you, if you can drink animal blood, then why not just go for big animals and leave humans alone? Yeah, that's why I don't really think that works as a, like, as a thing for vampires. Because what's the point? That's, like, That's explained in. In Buffy the series, it's not explaining this movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, uh, at school later, Buffy's pals are doing the same, the same catty stuff as before. But now it just seems trivial to Buffy. She's kind of grown they're, up a little. They're talking about the dead girl. Yeah. And they don't care. They're just upset that she had her coat. The jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might be how some girls really are, though. Like, you borrow a piece of their clothing and they don't get it back and you're dead. They're not upset. They come to your funeral and they want to know where their jacket is. They see you buried in it. They're like, no, she didn't. Yeah, they probably <laughs> dig it up and take the jacket back. The the viewing of the body. They're trying to wrestle the jacket off the court. Yeah, they would. <laughs> It's mine. 
<laughs> but uh, meanwhile, Buffy's getting all angsty. As Jessica said earlier, she's beating up dudes for no reason. <laughs> uh, and she tells Merrick that... In in her defense, he smacked her on the ass. Dude, right, wow, I, not uh, important. She was beating up dudes for no reason. <laughs> and wasn't like, the guy that... Wasn't he hitting on her earlier, asking yeah. if he could have, if he could borrow her? Yeah. But uh, she tells Merrick that she has to go to this basketball game. Uh, she can't miss it. And he says, none of the other girls gave me this much trouble. And her great response, where are they now? <laughs> That's a good oh. point. That's a good point. Acting like cheerleading practice is the reason she's alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the game, one of the players is a vamp. And it's so absolutely dumb. He's like, go team, go. And nobody notices. It's, it's the, the ugly oh guy from God, the Oh my God, I know. What is happening? He's like, <laughs> just like playing well, basketball him. and his spines are hanging out. From here on out, we call him Jessica's boyfriend. because That's who she chose. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and you did choose him over Pee Wee. Yeah, I guess. But I still was shocked. Is I was like, his mad basketball skills. <laughs> ben like, Affleck is... couldn't touch that. <laughs> I was just like, I don't yeah, understand why no one's reacting. Yeah, I thought I saw that, right? Was that him? Yeah. Yeah, that was Ben Affleck, an uncredited Ben Affleck as okay. a basketball player. I thought so, but I wasn't 100% sure, and then I didn't see it on IMDb, so I was like, hmm. He was not even credited, but it was him. Really bad cheer here. How funky is your chicken? How loose is your goose? See, is that a <laughs> common thing? I made a point of just not going to high school sporting events. But in a lot of TV shows where they're portrayed, that's a common cheer. Maybe, maybe. It's, it's totally in Freaks and Geeks, for one. So I don't... <laughs> I have no idea. Is yeah, that... that's not a common... It's just... <laughs> it's a TV cheer. To try to be entertaining and to have something to rhyme with caboose. Yeah, because I never heard that any, you know, like at school or whatever. I never heard anybody singing cheers like that. <laughs> but uh, well, they stopped cheering once Jessica's boyfriend took over the basketball game. <laughs> yeah, oh, and he's, you know, what kind of vampire? He just, he's like, I'm undead. Let's go play some basketball. You know, that's <laughs> what I want to do with my afterlife. Yeah, I don't, I didn't understand that, and I didn't understand how no one seemed to notice. I Except mean, for uh, Ben Affleck. Right. <laughs> They did notice because the referees asked him to be benched. Yeah, but the vamp's cheating. When he, when the coach puts in the yeah. vampire, and the vampire throws his jacket at him, and the coach folds his jacket like not nice and neat. Yeah, as he's going into the game. But the vampire's cheating because vampire like rules if you're a vampire, and Buffy decides to beat him up in the middle of the game. There's a precedent for this, and that's Teen Wolf. <laughs> You can be a werewolf and still stay in the game. You can be a vampire. <laughs> but uh, now the vampire knows who she is. So everything's compromised. Just uh, a little uh, low-speed chase. Yeah, do uh -huh. we think that Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy would attack a vampire in the middle of a basketball game in front of a whole stadium full of people? No. <laughs> She'd lure him out somehow. She'd have a plan. But uh, <laughs> some biker dude's outside, hey, babe, you want some real power between your legs? And so she steals their motorcycle. Yeah, and then he calls her a d which I don't know how the, the correlation makes any sense, but hey, whatever. How many times has that line been used on you, Jessica? What? That I'm a d No, uh, hey, oh, baby. Oh, the one before <laughs> that. Yeah. Ew, I don't think anyone's ever said that to me, Doc. And that's like outside the high school, too. I know, like what were the, the Hell's Angels doing there? <laughs> 
But uh, the vampire hops the fence, and since Buffy had to steal a motorcycle, she has to take an alternate route. Which, why is he so fast if she's taking a motorcycle and not catching up to him? <laughs> like, I'm not I... sure this guy is a 100% vampire. <laughs> his ears are really pointy. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> He's pretty hairy. He might be the very elusive were-vamp, which is why Jessica loves him so much. <laughs> And uh, she's joined by Pike, who's doing wheelies also, because well, why the hell not? I don't know. I gave up on making sense of it. <laughs> and she allows her bike to crash into a dragon float and hop, by hopping right. And is this where all abandoned floats go to hell when they die? Like, oh, yeah, the, for those floats? I yeah, think they were. Story I thought they went to an amusement park or something. It's a parade that makes float much story sense. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, it's float hell, and Buffy gets captured by two vampires uh, while this guy terrorizes her. He says, I'm a god. But uh, Pike stakes him in the stomach and says, <laughs> now you're a coat rack, which delivered wrong, but it's a Joss line. Yeah, I like make, that. Did that make you sad, Jessica? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and no. There's some tense battling, but Buffy ends up on top of Pike, and there's a really excruciatingly long, sexually tense scene that is not necessary. They just have a conversation there. And they get, like, closer and closer. Meanwhile, Jessica has to deal with the agony of her boyfriend being killed twice in the same movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not the time, it's not the place. I don't know why they're just chatting there. And Buffy's got her cramps back. <laughs> have you guys had this discussion yet on the podcast? Is it easier to stake a vamp from the front or the back? We haven't, but I bet the front. I would you guess could, the front as well. I don't know. Yeah. You could break through the ribs, maybe. Because you Pike can also from the back. You can also see, you have a better idea of where the heart is from the front, I would say. Yeah. Just reverse it on the back. Well, and this movie just have to get kind of close, I guess. I'd probably just get through a lung by accident. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good scene if there was a slayer who couldn't find <laughs> art and is just torturing this poor vampire. <laughs> all his major organs. I was just going to ask you, since you guys have watched all the seasons of the show, do you think uh, that the Luke Perry character, oh, since uh, you know Joss wrote this, do you think he was sort of like a, ba- a basis of what would become Angel since he was sort of like her... Um, you know, like her cohort or whatever, her little his her partner in crime or whatever. I feel like or, a little. Yeah. I feel like bits of Pike made its way into both Angel and Xander. I mean, Angel's way, way, way cooler, obviously. <laughs> but just, uh, just, yeah, and Lothos here is hypnotizing, hypnotizing Buffy or something, and Merrick shows up and. I don't know what's going on here. This scene is so weirdly paced and nobody's doing anything. They're just kind of standing <laughs> around. It should be noted that the master also does the same thing. Too. Yes. And, uh, yeah, but when the, master hypnot- when the master hypnotizes Buffy, it's pretty apparent that that's what he's doing. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and Lothos asks America, is this girl ready? And he says, well, actually, she's quite a pain in the ass. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> P.B. Ehrman tosses Pike, meanwhile... And he just kind of relaxes there. He doesn't get knocked over or anything. He just kind of lays there and waits. <laughs> and this whole scene is just so bizarre. Like, Lothos goes to bite Buffy slowly. Merrick intervenes slowly. Like, the pay- Like why didn't they do anything earlier? What is the... And so Merrick, awful. 
Merrick and Lothos are almost talking like old friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, but you don't get like the Professor X Magneto feel from it. You get like you almost start feeling like are they like working together? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I definitely didn't think he was going to do what he did. Like, so, I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. Merrick wasn't supposed to intervene. He tried to do so. Lothos stabs him with the stake. And then the vamps just kind of leave. Because Buffy's not ready, I guess. Which, what? Well, that's what he says, right. That's yeah. what he says. I don't understand that. No sense. <laughs> yeah. I'll only fight somebody that's ready for me. We didn't like, read think- 7 to 425 correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get that either. Like, I don't even have as much knowledge behind. At least he hike in front of her. <laughs> yeah, it really didn't. It was just like you would have all these people. You know, obviously they were outnumbered. You know, you know they would have easily. He could have easily bitten her. I, I don't yeah. understand that either. I don't understand why they left. The weird thing I thought was the weirdest about this is, you know, she's not ready, so they just wanted to like hurt her and leave. If you want to hurt her, go for Pike, because Buffy knows now that Merrick gets reincarnated when he dies. <laughs> so who yeah. cares? <laughs> That's true. Merrick's given his final speech and taken a really long time to die. <laughs> and Pike's just watching from his little cocoon where he was thrown. In the time it takes him to die, they could have gotten an ambulance there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just, he could probably have survived that, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, but Buffy seems a little bit upset. Not too bad. She's dealing. <laughs> and next day at school, her friends are talking about how weird Buffy is, which are good <laughs> friends. Buffy tries to tell them what's happening, but they don't. They don't get it. They're they bad didn't friends. Try very hard. <laughs> I'd be like, no, shut up and listen. Because <laughs> they just keep going on about. But her friends were seriously so stupid. Like, nobody was that stupid that I knew in high school. Like, those girls just, like, I mean, completely vacuous. And they were so adamant that she was having an affair with someone. Yeah, I know. It was so stupid. (laughs) Whether it was Merrick or Pike. It wasn't wasn't done well, don't get me wrong. But I think, I believe this is the part of the Slayer mythology where we learn that at least for the movie in the beginning part of the series, the Slayer's always truly going to be alone. Yeah. Yeah, they... they Her friends are just idiots. I hate them. And they mention, oh, this is the last dance of their senior year, but if Buffy's a senior, why does she start Sunnydale and then have three more years? <laughs> yeah. Does she keep failing? All her friends <laughs> keep failing, too? <laughs> she's, a, she's a sophomore in the series. Yeah. So... Well, I don't retcon the bit. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask this at the end of this episode, but do we, I mean, I think we pretty much have established at least Joss Whedon from his perspective has established this is not canon. It's half canon. <laughs> the script is canon, <laughs> but uh, because we get flashbacks during the series that are a to lot the movie, kind of. Yeah, they're a lot different than this. But uh, yeah, Buffy's friends don't support her at all, so they peace. And Buffy's telling Pike, my cat is in here meowing. I feel like Jessica. But oh, I told Jessica's cat. Oh, I'm glad that I wasn't the offender for once, because I was going to tell you guys that if you hear the yelling and screaming, it's the cat. But uh, maybe now we know why it screams so much. It knows there's a vampire in your building. <laughs> Everything's coming together now, Jessica. <laughs> But uh, Buffy tells Pike that she's going to the dance. She's 
She got fed up with a friend. She's like, whatever, I'm going to show him. I'm going to go to the dance. He's not having it. He's like, you should be out there slaying, girl. Not quite these words. This is paraphrased. <laughs> but uh, Benny overhears this all because he's hanging out in an instant photo booth because vampires just like to have fun, I guess. When they're not killing, they're playing basketball. And... There's to be a dead person inside that photo booth. Yeah. But uh, all the pictures <laughs> are blank, which is a cool touch, I guess. He's a vampire. But- why was he even in the photo booth? Why was he? Why did he pay to get pictures taken? <laughs> this is Benny, and as far as we know, becoming a vampire doesn't make you any smarter. <laughs> but uh, down below, this next scene wasn't even. It didn't serve a purpose. It just kind of felt like there was sexual tension between Lothos and Pee Wee Herman. Like I was like, they're talking about how like I'm gonna dance with you, and like, what is going on in this scene? Keep in mind, Amalyn was originally a female. So maybe, or and I know they don't really touch on Lothos's sexuality either. So maybe he's got that mustache, <laughs> Freddie Mercury mustache. And uh, let's be honest: if you had Pee Wee Herman as your subservient, there'd be a little <laughs> bit of sexual tension. <laughs> Anyone who says different is probably lying. Yeah, Jombie. <laughs> but up above, Buffy's picking out dresses while Pike shaves. It's a useless month, like. In a, it's not useless. Direct. He shaves his little his little flavor saver, his chin tuft. But that's a big deal. <laughs> if it was a smart script, there'd be some sort of juxtaposition that made this meaningful. This scene, but it's just not. It's not meaningful. It's just people getting ready for a dance, and then they go to the dance, and it's a hug the world themed dance where Starburns is DJing. <laughs> I love it. I wrote that too. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, Buffy's friends are just being catty, making fun of everyone's outfits. As Jessica, you know. I'll explain that joke to you later. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny, the theme is Hug the World, and earlier the theme that they were suggesting was Don't Tread on Me, which but then they explained that you have to tread on the earth. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that they went with the Hug the World theme, which is just as dumb, but at least yeah, it makes Yeah, all sense. of them are terrible. <laughs> Window clings of monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> But Buffy shows up in a nice white gown, reminiscent of her uh, Prophecy Girl gown. A little bit. Not as nice, but similar. No one commented that it was a nice dress, or that they liked her dress. Yeah. But Buffy goes to find her boyfriend, Jeffrey, who's just named now for the first time. (laughs) No, they said it before. Did they? I didn't notice. But her friends all laugh, which, because he's here with another girl. Why are they laughing? Wow. I don't even know what to say. He's there with the most vapid of all the vapid girls. <laughs> and so he dumps her. He told her that he called her, left her a message dumping her. <laughs> yeah. Broke up with her machine. Here, here's the thing about this. She says at one point, you know, I was waiting for the limo to show up. I didn't show up. Like, you haven't talked to your boyfriend in, like, probably a week, two weeks. You're going to this dance. You assume you're going with him. You don't call yeah. him to be like, what time are we going? Yeah. yeah. You know, what's know. swearing so I can coordinate? Yeah, that makes no Super sense. going to show up, and he's going to be there waiting for you? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, even though they didn't have the stuff that we have now, like, wouldn't you just pick up a regular, like, phone and call well, a person's I house? I was five in 1992, and I can tell you that we did have phones. <laughs> I know. I'm saying we don't have, like, the cell phones and all that stuff now, but you could still <laughs> just pick up your house phone <laughs> and call the person. <laughs> but, uh, be like, what, what time will you be here? Yeah, exactly. But Buffy's not feeling all these couples at the dance. She's not having it. But Pike comes in all cleaned up with his, his hair slicked back. He's shaved. He looks all nice. Like he, he wants like, to be Angel. Looks like Dave Franco. 
<laughs> and he starts being all flirty. He gives her a fake rose because that's supposed to be cute. And he calls her the queen of the cardboard jungle, which sounds like a album name. <laughs> and Buffy's a little glad he came. And he says, "Would I get my ass kicked if I asked you to dance?" And maybe. So they dance. And I just, I still don't ship it. I don't. There's no chemistry. <laughs> he didn't ask her to dance though. No, he just kind of led her out to the dance floor. It's cute. Want to get his ass kicked? <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, that's true. Like, uh, you don't ever feel like that there's any real chemistry between those two at all. No. Like, even though you would think, like, you know, Common Sense would say that they would probably get together at some point, even if it was after the movie, obviously, or not on camera. But they never they never clicked that way to the pe- you know person watching it. Exactly. And uh, they chat a little bit, but then they start making it. Just immediately. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's got to be against school policy, for one. <laughs> if Principal Flutie was here, he would not allow that. <laughs> well, it's a it's a party, so we know Principal Gary Murray is probably <laughs> dropping acid somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he's a party guy. Yeah, he thinks he's a toaster. <laughs> Jessica, I wanted to bring this up. I did a little research uh, here. Your boyfriend, yeah. you're going to love this. Your boyfriend in this picture. <laughs> Uh, also was in Halloween 4, which is your favorite horror franchise. Yeah. So that makes him doubly your boyfriend. <laughs> wow. Well, who was? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. He was uh, the love interest for Rachel, sort of, kind of, in Halloween 4. I noticed him. Man, I don't know. I just know he's in Halloween 4. <laughs> yeah. You watched it not that long ago either. Yeah, I also watched this today and I'll forget about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but out of nowhere, some pale little vampies start breaking the windows to the gym. And by vampires, I mean asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you caught that reference. Um, guy comes in covered in blood uh, and says, There's vampires outside. Blah, 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 and then he just. There's something in the mist. And then and, yeah. Can we mention. Uh, some of the vampires. I believe some of the vampires are pretty famous people. Seth Green is one of them. <laughs> Seth Green, Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake, yeah. Thomas uh, Jane. They're all like goth too. It's weird. I know that. Uh, I think David Bowie was supposed to be one, but they couldn't get him. There's a bunch of like singers that were supposed to be among them. Yeah, it's really weird. And the principal starts uh, threatening the vampires with detention. <laughs> He's definitely. He's definitely on an acid trip. <laughs> that is for real. I like the vampires just like, like waiting, waiting at the door, like lunging at people, but not. You're just kind of slowly moving their arms on this dry ice. Like this is dumb. You can come in. What are you doing? Yeah, which yeah, because they they're supposed not not supposed to be able to come in because they weren't invited. But then, not uh, only what, were they invited, it's a public building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good call. But, uh, yeah, so Pike doesn't want Buffy to go, but she's going. And he accidentally rips her dress perfectly. Now it's hemmed and nice and short. It's Yeah. <laughs> and then he throws her his leather jacket. And that is the Buffy I know. Leather jacket with a dress underneath. That kind of sums up the character Buffy. <laughs> That's a little bit of Angel that came through, I guess, into the series. And she starts uh, kicking some vamp ass. Really bad stunt work, too. Awful. Absolutely terrible. When good for her, she's not having cramps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like it's it's not slow motion, but it's such a slow fight. 
because none of them are like you think they're a mob. You think they'd all come at once, but they're coming one by one and just waiting their turn. <laughs> I love how Black in, the, style. in the pilot, in the pilot, Buffy says, "Could you all just come at me one at a time?" And the guy says, "You watch too many movies." Oh, I didn't even notice that. That so, is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I swear, at least one of these vampires is Ryder Strong. <laughs> Why? I swear, I was like, man, I think that's, I think that's Sean, the dude from Boy Meets World. <laughs> he was too young, obviously, but it young, looked just yeah. like him. I was like, man, that's that's totally his spirit animal, Sean, like from the past. Well, I did see Seth Green, which I did not see the first time that I watched this movie because he's only on screen for a he's minute. Like, fun fact: actually, three seconds. <laughs> yeah, he's the so, only person to be in both the movie and the show. Spoiler that he's in the show. There's like, two people. Was there? Another one of the vampires, I think, was also on the show. Uh, Seth Green's barely in the movie. He's on the back of the VHS, though, if you have it. And maybe the DVD as well. But he's barely in the movie. He was almost all entirely cut. He used to have a line, but they cut it. And, yeah, one of Buffy's friends says, It's okay, I think they're going after her. <laughs> what, what awful friends. It was I think at this point, they're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Bubby escapes. She sees, I think it's her boyfriend sleeping with the new girl in the back of a car. Or her ex-boyfriend. I don't know who it was, but I just remember her saying that was fast, so. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think you're correct. And uh, she gets attacked by Paul Rubens. And meanwhile, this is my favorite, favorite part of the movie. A DJ is attacked by a dancing vampire. <laughs> <laughs> He looks like Steve-O from Sum 41, or, and he just uh, attacks him and then just starts dancing. He takes over. He looks so, he looks so happy. Like he hears the music, he just starts jamming. He's like, yeah, yeah, I can groove to this. <laughs> uh, so the whole gym's going to hell, and Buffy's somewhere. Else. I don't even know where she is to be honest. A hallway of the school or a hallway somewhere. Uh, she escapes. Uh, Paul Rubens as Pike is hand-to-handing vamps in the gym. Which, that's pretty raw. I don't know. Yeah, he's just a regular dude, but he's brave enough to just... Everyone else is running, he's fist-fighting vampires. <laughs> well, Xander does many times. Yeah. Case. And <laughs> some random scene, just some random stoners. The, this party sucks, man. <laughs> uh, Benny starts fighting Pike. He comes out of nowhere and says, Come on, fight like a man, which I swear is a Wizard of Oz reference, because he says it just like the Cowardly Lion. Oh, it definitely was a Wizard of Oz reference. And then we cut to another Wizard of Oz reference where Paul Rubin says, I'll get you, Buffy, and your little dog, too. <laughs> like, that's two in a row. You can't do that. <laughs> I think someone watched Wizard of Oz the night before. <laughs> but it, With yeah. the script? And Benny tried to sire Pike, but Pike escapes. Because nobody really tries too hard to do anything in this movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, another Wizard of Oz reference. And read after. And then he says, <laughs> great line. Isn't there times you just feel less than fresh? <laughs> Dude, that is a great line. <laughs> but so many references at once. There's like a bunch in a row. And it's like, man, just relax. Spread I feel it like out. in the original script, like Lothos was supposed to just like melt. Like she pours <laughs> a bucket of water on him. and just. <sighs> but uh, yeah, she starts fighting Pee Wee Herman. And uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Rutger Hauer is playing violin in the corner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why? 
<laughs> like he's the least threatening villain ever. It's super silly. Uh, like he's just, he's just playing off Paul Rubens. He's but like, she he's stops. She stops for a minute. Like she's listening. Yeah, they both stop. They're like, huh? Violin. He's good. He's good at playing violin. <laughs> what if like the point was he's playing to distract Buffy? Yeah. And then he's like, "You idiot! What are you doing? You <laughs> have the upper hand." But, uh, but he stops and listens to. But uh, Buffy stakes Amalyn with a ruler, <laughs> <laughs> and he best best death scene I've ever seen in a movie. It was yeah. completely improvised, but <laughs> it was super silly. He's just keep, he takes so long to die, and then he pops back up. And he's like, "No!" And he goes into the corner. He's kicking the wall. He's like, oh, oh, oh. "I know." <laughs> I love. I love the contrast between how seriously the good guys, like uh, Luke Perry, Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, how seriously they take it in contrast to, you know, <laughs> Paul Rubens and Rutger Hauer and how they just <sighs> chew the scenery. Like, yeah. it's like they thought they were in complete different movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree, but I do think it confuses the viewer. Yeah. As to what kind of movie this is. But uh, Buffy, she has the chance now, but she doesn't even fight. Lothos, once again. They're just kind of chatting. And this happens every time they get together. Every scene they're together, it confuses the hell out of me, because they just talk. She's still not ready. <laughs> and later, Pike splashes holy water on Benny's face, which... Is that what that was? I'm assuming, because he started to burn. Maybe he's just allergic to alcohol. No, we, we know Benny's not. <laughs> <laughs> and DJ Vampire, he's now taken over. He's jamming out. He's loving it. Wasn't the principal giving out detention slips or something? <laughs> yeah. So all the dead <laughs> yeah, all the uh, and Pike holds Benny to the breaker and fries the whole gym. <laughs> Which I don't know how accurate. I don't know why a wiring don't think it's realistic. <laughs> yeah, the breaker wasn't even open. It's like <laughs> if you touch a breaker, it will electrocute you. <laughs> Cautionary tale. But down below, yeah, Buffy is breaking free of Lothos. And I just I don't understand the scene because they never try to fight each other. They just quip. He goes to bite her. She makes a joke, so he throws her away. Like you had your chance, man, but you just got so. Both of us has had so many chances. <laughs> this guy, this guy. So she grabs a cross, and he grabs it as well, and it's it flicks on like like she pressed a switch, which I I'm sure she did. <laughs> okay, so. They're both touching a cross. Shouldn't he be bursting into flame and not the cross? <laughs> like the cross, the top of the cross that's nowhere near his hand? <laughs> but uh, she uses her keen fashion sense, finally, to oh, hairspray yeah. and add him. <laughs> so ridiculous. She just, she big bossed him. She just, phew, but he doesn't seem to care that he's being lit on fire. Yeah. You know, he's pretty chill and then it just kind of goes out, so... I know, and there was a vampire that she murdered in that same pretty mo- well, very similar fashion in the show. In the is it sh- murder though? If it's a vampire, well, I don't that's, know. that's a good call. <laughs> but she did the same thing, you know. It wasn't a hairspray thing, but it, it was fire, and and they died. Yeah, exactly. This is Lothos. He's been around for a gazillion years. Isn't <laughs> some low level level one vampire? <laughs> This isn't like an Anthony or a Colin. This is Lothos. <laughs> he's the he's the boss of the game. Do you think that that's uh, another like I I noticed that before? Oh, I don't know if it's with this movie because there's not much to go on. But uh, the older the vampire it is, the harder it is to kill them. Maybe. 
I feel like the movie that's, was trying to go that way, but I don't know about the series. Uh, it's hard to say. I think that's definitely true in every almost every vampire mythology I've come across. Yeah, because well, because they've been around so long for a reason. Right, and like the longer well, there's a why the master haunts Buffy for a long time because he's so freaking old and looks like a bat. <laughs> does. Um, but yeah, like you, you know, the longer they're around, like the less things that you can use to kill them that you could use on a younger one. Yeah, that's fair. That's a, yeah, I'd say that's probably true. Yeah, I don't think you're killing Lothos with a ruler <laughs> <laughs> or a guitar. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, meanwhile, yeah, as we said, Principal's giving detention to all the staked vampires, and one of Buffy's friends freaks out that Buffy comes back, so the principal just lights her up. Like a good principal that's on acid. <laughs> he probably thought her face was like a melon or something, he just squished it against the wall. <laughs> so Buffy's freaking out because Lothos pops in with a, with a sword for no reason. Which, I feel like the violin, the sword, these should have been things that they touched on earlier. They should have like made it like a little bit of part of the character instead of just coming out of nowhere with them. Uh, the violin he had at one point before. Did he? When they were oh. talking about the dance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the sword was just ridiculous. It felt it like is... Quentin Tarantino all of a sudden directed half this movie. I just assume any vampire over a thousand years old has a sword. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the principal has a great line, that's definitely not a student. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the principal was actually one of the funnier. Yeah. You know, I, liked I really him liked him. Yeah, and I liked Paul Rubin's character, too. Mm-hmm. But instead of biting Buffy again, uh, he, he throws her away and just keeps talking to everybody about how they're all going to... Very reminiscent of Luke from the first couple episodes of Buffy, where instead of actually killing people, he just talks about how he's going to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Buffy steals a flag that was barring the door, very patriotic, and they start... Fighting. Sword versus flag. <laughs> I feel like there's a metaphor lost in there somewhere. She tries to stab him with the non-wooden end. <laughs> yeah. Take that with this fabric. <laughs> Which doesn't seem very Slayer-like. <laughs> She's just learning. <laughs> she doesn't know it's just wood. Maybe fabric works too. Not very Maybe. efficient. <laughs> Maybe if Merrick had lived another week. <laughs> that was the next lesson. But uh, yeah, Buffy. So Buffy tries to fight him with a flag. Pike comes out of nowhere, hops onto his back. I got him, until <laughs> he doesn't got him, because he gets kind of like choke slammed down. Yeah, it should be noted that everyone in the school is also watching this yeah. and helping. Like, man, just let her do it. I don't want to be involved. I think she's got this. <laughs> but as he raises his sword high above his head, which is always a no in every samurai movie. Buffy stakes him because he left himself open. You can't just do that. And uh, his last word, no, I'm really pissed off. <laughs> what? She just kicks it further into him. <laughs> but you don't have much time, and that's the last thing you have to say. No, the last <laughs> thing he says is, oops. <laughs> Covers his face with his cloak as he dies. Yeah, those are not, those would not make it into the uh, Book of Famous Last Lines. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's just so dumb. I was a little disappointed that a stake by itself. <laughs> she had to kick it. Maybe his heart's deeper in than all the other. It's shrunk, so she has to kick it <laughs> to get the heart. <laughs> but that I, one was actually one of the only vampires that she actually staked in the heart, though. Yeah. 
So good for her. She's but learning. Who's all the vampires <laughs> in the gym if she was below the gym? Right, and she later says right about here. She, you know, Pike's knocked out, and he tell he wakes up and he sees all the vampires. He's like, "Did I do that?" And Buffy's like, "No, I did." No, you didn't. Man, I didn't see you stake any of these guys. I don't know who did, but it wasn't you. Steve <laughs> Herman and Rutger Hauer. I think it was the principal, but they weren't all vampires. Some were students, and he was just tripping. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just filing out of the gym, and Buffy and Pike decide it's a good time for a last dance to uh, the sound of police sirens, which, once again, no chemistry. Not even a little sliver. But then a song conveniently starts up. Maybe the vampire DJ didn't die. And he just starts up a song. Hey, I didn't see that dude die. Maybe he's maybe he's turned a new leaf. He has- <laughs> <laughs> he's like, look, DJs work at night. I can do this. Yeah, he's, he's, he, started, he started his own business. Now he's like a this, functioning member of society. This vampire DJ was the precursor to Angel. He was the vampire with the soul. The vampire with soul. <laughs> there you go. Wow, that's that's beautiful. In the Whedon verse, uh, the whole verse, that guy still jamming somewhere. <laughs> he could show up at any given time. They should have given it a callback. A spinoff. Yeah, she maybe she goes to a club and or goes to the bronze, and he's just there. <laughs> <laughs> and then she. But that would connect from. these two works. <laughs> but uh, the movie ends with Buffy hopping on the back of Pike's motorcycle as they ride away to credits. And Dan burned down the gym, which <laughs> is a big point in the series that she did burn down the gym of her old school. And I was expecting, waiting for it. I can't remember if it happens in the script or in the comic. or. But they don't. They absolutely don't. And then just the credits. And we get, during credits, we get news reports where... Apparently everyone tried to rationalize it saying that they were gang members or cultists. Young Republicans. <laughs> Young Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, apparently Paul Rubens is named Amelin. This is where I learned it. I had no I thought, idea. What I thought was weird about the credits is before we get to anything else, it says Candy Clark as Buffy's mom. Yeah. And then we get to the credits. Or the credits, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. not that famous and she wasn't here either <laughs> she's not in at no point was she's the biggest name in the movie did you Wait. watch all the credits did all of you watch like the whole credits because yeah <laughs> okay because he's he i mean unless they were just replaying it seemed as though he was still struggling yeah. with that stake <laughs> yeah, post credits we've got amelin rolling around with the ruler and <laughs> still trying to die <laughs> <laughs> One thing I really liked is I actually thought that the credits were the funniest part, the interviews and the credits. Um, I really liked what Stephen Root, like the principal, was saying. When he's like, you know, I think the students learned of – well, first he says, I saw a lot of action in Nam. Well, I saw Platoon. But I've never seen anything like this. You know, I think the students learned a valuable lesson about safety, except the ones that died. Well, I guess they learned <laughs> the lesson, but they didn't have time to implement it. Are we live? Can we cut this? <laughs> Yeah, that was great. And but Joss Whedon was not happy with this movie. He uh, said, "I finally sat down and had written the movie, and someone made it. But I felt like, well, that's not quite Buffy. It's a start, but it's not quite right." Which, yeah, I'd say I agree with him. I I would not be happy if I made if I wrote a script and this is what happened. <laughs> Actually, this movie uh, is one of the reasons why I stayed away from Buffy. In its original incarnation uh, on the TV show. Like, I didn't watch it in real time. I picked it up on DVDs later. 
Well, you know what is funny is that now, if he made this movie now, like if this, you know, if it was something that he just was starting now, he would have been able to make his own movie, probably. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's like, Cabin in the Woods, he had complete creative control, so. But I mean, with with Kickstarter and all that, you know, and all these things that people, you know, that don't have a lot of money can make their film the way they want to now. You know, they don't have to wait for somebody to get behind it. Studios will line up to throw money at Joss Whedon at this point. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Kickstarter. No, but I'm saying back in 92, had that been the way things were then, maybe he would have been able to just make the film that he wanted to make. Uh, In theory, yeah. But then we wouldn't have got Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. So, if you... This goes out to all of you. If Say it's like 95... They announced that the show's coming out. I, they probably didn't announce in 95. It was probably closer to 97. But you know the show's coming out. You had seen the movie. Would you watch the show, Ron? I think you just you said that that at the time, no. You wouldn't watch the show because of How about everyone else? You know, if you watched just the movie, heard about the show, would you watch it? I don't know. It's hard to say because I'm usually skeptical about stuff that starts out in one – like. You know, like a book to a movie or a book to a TV show. I'm usually skeptical. Well, that was amazing. (laughs) I was blown away that that was so good. But, you know, one of the things that made that great is... Nudity. Oh, stop that. (laughs) No, one of the things that made that great was the guy behind it was the guy behind... And he's done a lot of stuff. And I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. But it was the guy behind the movie American Beauty with Annette Bening and Kevin Spacey. And he's, I mean, he's like an amazing guy. And he had, he had himself and then like a whole, you know, handpicked staff of writers. I mean, he just did a situation that Joss Whedon ended up in. Yeah. So he really was able to do a wonderful job. And I was skeptical, but I watched it and I was amazed how the people that he chose to represent the people from the books were so uh, such great choices. And then even when he moved away from the books in some instances or created his own characters, he still did like a, an awesome job. It's weird that I didn't watch this when it was on, to be honest, just simply because I, I do like this kind of show. Like, and I like supernatural stuff, obviously like car. So it's weird that I didn't get into it. And now I'd probably be even, maybe even more less likely, although I might at least try it out. But I feel like most of the stuff on TV these days is garbage. <laughs> so well, That's very fair. Clairvoyant, what do you say? This movie's garbage. And, <laughs> and based on the movie alone, it's like, oh, they're making a Buffy, movie, a Buffy TV show. It's like, wow, I know what to avoid this season. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, I'm apologizing to both of you uh, for subjecting you to this movie. Clairvoyant, you don't get an apology. You have to do it. But <laughs> Ron, I put it off until earlier today. <laughs> but, uh, Ron, Jessica, I picked you specifically for this episode because I uh, listening to an episode of your podcast, you, uh, you had mentioned that you did not enjoy the movie. So I picked you for this episode because of it. So you're welcome. <laughs> We've watched many movies worse than this. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this this is like five stars, you know, <laughs> compared to some of the some of the stuff that we've watched. I mean, even recently, in the ones that we're doing now, they're just it's just terrible. It's just awfulness. <laughs> it's really awful. So uh, I found it amusing at the very in some part, parts at the very least. 
So one thing we do on this show, every episode, I'm sure uh, you've heard, is we do a rating out of five stakes. Each of us, we go around the table, what we'd give it out of five stakes. Uh, so I'd like to hear what you guys have to have to say about this movie out of five. So let's start with you, Ron. What would you give uh, this movie out of five and, and why? Are we allowed to give partial stakes? Yep. Well, I think I would give this movie one and a half stakes. Okay. So I think that um, for the... I definitely would not watch this movie before the series. Uh, but I think for the Buffy completists... <laughs> uh, that, Those poor souls. <laughs> that you, can see, you can see the beginnings of some of the stuff in this, but it's very raw. And... I think anyone who didn't even know the backstory to the the movie, how it got made and how Joss felt about it could tell that there was a lot of interference that wasn't Joss. Right. The, like the, the way the show feels is you're kind of like, um, maybe, you know, but it's completely uh, skippable if you're not a Buffy completist. Yeah. But I do think you get some of the things like, for example, we were talking about earlier, all of the good guys seem very serious. All of the bad guys seem very nonchalant and not so serious. But there's a nice mixture of that in in the series as well uh, on both sides. This movie doesn't do it, it as well as the series does. Um, but that's this movie. <laughs> I mean, for not, 1992, when this movie came out, most of the stuff that was coming out on in movies were stupid and brainless and that's kind of what this movie ended up being. And I'm a little ashamed that um, it made it actually made money. <laughs> oh, yeah. It like, made I think six million, six million budget, 17 million box yeah, office. Because that's my generation that went and saw this <laughs> at the office. So one and a half, uh, one and a half stakes All for right. me. So Jessica, a little bit horror nerd. This loosely falls under the 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 veil of horror. <laughs> what would you give it out of five of stakes? Um, I would say two. Uh, I guess I didn't hate it, honestly. You um, weren't as tainted by the show. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that that's definitely true. Um, I actually kind of liked Christy Swanson be- like before this because she was in a, um, an old Wes Craven movie called The Deadly Friend that I really liked. Uh, but to be fair, I mean, she hasn't had like a, a wonderful career or anything, but for some <laughs> reason I just liked that movie. And so I kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I liked the principal and I liked Pee Wee Herman's character. It yeah. wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a great movie, but there are movies that we are also the, the thing you had for the basketball player guy. Right. <laughs> that probably bumped it up a half a stick. Well, I kind of like how there were a lot of recognizable people in it, too, because I really, because I had never seen it, I kind of thought it was just Luke Perry and her. Um, and uh, there was things that were funny about it. I mean, I guess if you, I ha- since I haven't only have done like a 14 episodes of the show, um, I maybe don't have as much to compare it to yet, um, but I don't think it's awful because when I think of some of the things that I've watched I mean normally if I hate something and it's super boring and there's nothing redeemable about it it's really hard for me to pay attention like I will miss entire portions of a plot and have no idea what went on because my brain goes somewhere else 
I literally will be doing the show and he'll explain something to me that clearly I should have, you know, seen or recognized. (laughs) So at least I knew what went on, which means I didn't hate it. But it's, you know, it's not a great movie. It's a throwaway movie. It's a movie that you forget right after your, you know, the next day or whatever. I wish. (laughs) Yeah, thankfully, some people can unsee this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I said, uh, if you go to Doobie's Brothers concert, you're not going to remember any of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so clairvoyant. How about you? I know you've been dreading watching this movie since we started this podcast. I've been putting it off for as long as humanly possible. Uh, I hate this movie. I actually, I have, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. I have a giant, like, a, a shrine to Joss Whedon. There's over $4,000 worth of Buffy memorabilia. I did not... I did not own this movie. I thought you just died <laughs> there for a second. Who? No, that's something happened outside my uh, closet door. I guess one of the cats it's threw the themselves. Vampire. <laughs> yeah, the, va- the vampire cat threw himself at my closet door. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I avoided for as long as humanly possible to actually buying this movie, though I am a completionist, until, of course, Shani Dreadful bought it for me for my birthday. <laughs> um, and... You know, I can't forgive Fran Rubel or Kaz Kazooie, uh, not only for this, but for their attempt at a reboot. And for making money off of every episode of Buffy and every episode of Angel, though that's yeah. got not a single character <laughs> in common. <laughs> and all merchandising as well. That makes me angry as well. I did not know that until you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, even in com- some commentary on Angel, they're absolutely furious about that. <laughs> but... Uh, I think this movie had some redeeming qualities. Uh, unfortunately, those redeeming qualities didn't redeem a goddamn thing, and it gets one stake. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? What is your what is your prize? Uh, the prize piece of your collection? Um, I don't know. I I think the most expensive thing I have in my collection is a season one poster of Agents of Shield. Signed by every cast member and Joss Whedon and Marissa Tantrone, Jeff Loeb, Jeffrey Bell, and Jed Whedon. So that's expensive. That's probably the most expensive thing. That's the only thing I have with Joss Whedon's signature on it as well. So maybe that. I do have. I did. I'm, I did purchase um, in a in an auction from Fox. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i did purchase some of the um supposedly in the although i haven't been able to find them yet screen worn uh clothing from buffy hey willow's overalls like i have a jacket supposedly worn by sarah michelle geller and a shirt supposedly worn by michelle trachtenberg hey I've not been able to find it on screen yet, but apparently it was just like, they're not important clothes. They're just like, hey, it's a new day. You need a different pair of clothes. Right. They're not items you'd recognize. Well, as we pointed out, they never wear the same outfit twice. Like, they must have endless wardrobes. We also uh, theorized that maybe they steal them from vamps. (laughs) Well, if the vamps didn't dust, they would have stolen from vamps, was our theory. So if you guys, uh, when you're going through this series if you if you see michelle trakenberg in a, a pink long sleeve shirt let me know <laughs> all right <laughs> let me know the episode i don't even want to know what you would do with that that's disturbing <laughs> it's literally been sitting in my closet ever since i bought it 
Oh, okay. She was 15 in the series, Ron. Well, they were the cheapest items. <laughs> <laughs> now, my rating, let's see. So this movie, I don't, yeah, I gotta agree. It has redeeming qualities that don't redeem anything. Uh, it's a little bit funny, but I feel like most of it's wrong. Most of it's like it was born wrong. <laughs> you know, it had it all the right genes. It had Joss Whedon in his writing. Like Jessica. Jessica was born wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it didn't feel, it's, it should be normal and it's not. It feels weird. It feels like Joss Whedon from hell. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'd say 1.5 out of 5 stakes for me also. It's not worth, it's not so bad that it gets a 1 because there's enough to redeem it. I don't know if it deserves any higher than that though. It's, you know, if, if it did, it would be from Paul Rubens. Uh, he would probably bump it up. But yeah, 1.5 for me. Uh, I think we've uh, decided that if you come in without having watched the series, it's probably a little bit better for you. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if a fan hasn't seen the series listening to this episode, probably a bit higher. So, sorry. But, <laughs> Ron, Jessica, thank you so much for, for joining us today, for subjecting yourself to this, just to, sh- just to come on here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Resurrection of Zombie 7 while you're here. Plug yourselves a little bit. Tell us why you're cool. Well, uh, the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast is a horror podcast that focuses on horror movie franchises. The definition of franchise being any franchise that has four or more movies. Uh, so recently, we've gone through all the Amityville movies. We went through all the Silent Night, Daily Night movies around Christmas time. And uh, who knows what the future beholds for us other than really, really crappy movies like even worse than this. <laughs> Once you get past the second or third movie in a franchise, um, it's almost always just totally crap. <laughs> yeah, we do the movies. Uh, Killer Lambs. <laughs> exactly. We do the movies one at a time. So we spend an entire episode on each movie, no matter how bad it may be. <laughs> and uh, each comes out. Our podcast comes out once a week. I try to get it out by the end of the week. Not always successful. And you can catch that on zombie7.com where we post the episodes. And we also post horror blogs and all a bunch of other random things. Yeah. And how about, I know you guys are on Twitter. How about you? Uh, Jessica, I know you have a Twitter personal or a personal business one. And there's also the Resurrection of Zombie 7 one. How do you, how do you get to those? The Twitter confuses me, so I let Jessica handle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Res Zombie Seven for the podcast, and then mine is Miss Harnard. So at Res Zombie Seven and at Miss Harnard. So go check them out. Go check them out if you want to. You want to laugh and cry and and <laughs> simultaneously do both. And basically, <laughs> just uh, listen to Ron make fun of Jessica. They rate, they, they rate me on a weekly basis. It's, like, this was tame in comparison. You gotta check it out. It's I know, it's funny. I, I listened to your first show and I said that to him. I was like, God, they're so nice and controlled and tame. I was like, our show is just chaos. She doesn't know any other way. <laughs> I don't. We might convert her to a different side podcast. <laughs> she didn't see the light till now. <laughs> current tagline for the podcast is the podcast that goes bump in the night um, but we might change that to the podcast that watches all of the really crappy horror movies so you don't have to <laughs> well, you well thank you very much for coming guys you're welcome thanks for thanks having for ha- us anytime
And I have a question for you, Mr. Universe, because right. you like to keep track of these things. Yeah. And if you didn't, I'm making you rewatch this movie to do so. <laughs> what was our death count for this oh, movie? I lost track. <laughs> I lost track. Uh, I was at five vampires, and then I stopped counting. I was like, no more. I'm done. But I do usually keep a death count. Uh, we are five vampires, or five people, I think, and then uh, some vampires, and I just really, I was like, I don't care. So, <laughs> I read it was 17, but that sounds high, and I haven't verified it. Well, maybe if you're counting all the people that got detention. <laughs> um, I believe 17 is also the number of ex-boyfriends of Jessica's that are dead. <laughs> oh, that is not true. She applies suspicious that. means. I don't even have 17 ex-boyfriends, please. Anymore. <laughs> That's right. Reading <laughs> uh. vs. Podcast rating, 1.25 out of 5 stakes. Hey, welcome to a new segment, Clairvoyance Comics. Did you hear that? I got my own cheesy intro voice, too. Clairvoyance Comics. I don't know how Mr. Universe got a clip of me saying that. Anyway, this is my new short and sweet solo segment of the show that'll pop up at the end of some episodes. Let's say more often than sporadically, but less often than frequently. The premise is simple. I read a comic associated with the Whedonverse, do a speed review of it, and then in lieu of giving away the ending, I'll tell you whether or not it's worth picking up and finding out yourself. Instead of a 5-point stake rating, these will be reviewed with a simple yes or no system, using the two things Buffy does to vamps. Slay or lay? Dead or, or bed? Nope. Dust or lust? As I said, this will be a quick and dirty little segment that'll show up Almost only if there's a comic that relates to one or both of the episodes we reviewed that week. So don't feel the need to skip the last five minutes of every episode. It's all pre-written, so you don't have to hear me struggle to be funny. That part is off-screen. Now, as we just finished contrasting and comparing the first season of Buffy to Fran Rubel Kazooie's disaster piece, Buffy the Vampire Slayer the Film, I figured a fitting starting point for clairvoyance comics be to contrast and compare the movie with yet another superior piece of work, the three-issue miniseries Buffy the Vampire Slayer The Origin. All three issues of The Origin came out on September 15, 1999. It was written by Christopher Golden and Dan Brereton, based on Joss Whedon's original film script, was penciled by Joe Bennett, inked by Rick Ketchum, Randy Emberlin, and Jay Jadson, colored by Jeremy Cox and Guy Major, with lettering by Ken Brusenak. Much like the movie, The Origin starts in Europe in the Dark Ages. A slayer is in mid-pursuit with a weird green vampire whom she stakes, and she makes a medieval Buffy one-liner about walking right into her grasp. Little did the slayer know, she walked right into the trap of a much cooler-looking Lothos and his court jester Amelin, who promptly kill her. The next reluctant slayer is called in a scene reminiscent of the movie opening, and then we cut to the movie theater scene emblazoned California, the Light Ages. From this point on, the comic becomes a more streamlined and better written version of the movie. Buffy seems much stronger than her Swanson counterpart, slightly less vapid, and is not as keen with all the weird sexist comments made about her, which is a plus. 
Pike has silver hair for some reason, but is otherwise almost word for word. One thing I noticed in the prologue, and became immediately apparent later in the first issue, is that while Joe Bennett's art is relievingly based on the TV series and not the movie, he took liberties. I'm sure we've all heard the old adage, no two vampires are alike, and Joe was determined to make each one look as weird, demonic, bat-like, and insanely different as possible. Coupled with our colorist team's eyebrow-raising shades of green and purple, it's safe to say that the origin vamps are definitely not the ones we know and loathe from Sunnydale. It's interesting to note how startlingly similar a lot of these scenes are to the movie, just vastly improved in both writing and tone. If this is based on the original script, it's truly disappointing how many great lines didn't make it to the screen, such as Buffy's friend Kimberly proposing they have a Marianne clause, barring Marianne Heinel from the school dance, or Merrick dropping the bomb that Emperor Caligula and Jack the Ripper were actually the same vampire. Equally disappointing is knowing that the hot dog innuendo scene was not a product of the movie. I personally thought I would never get the 32mm abomination out of my head, but I challenge anyone reading this comic to read Merrick's introduction to Buffy and not hear Sarah Michelle Gellar's voice in your head saying that she doesn't have a destiny, she's destiny free really. This comic, whether due to Joss's voice or the work of Golden and Brereton, is so well written and it really feels like it belongs in the universe of the series, Rainbow Vamps aside. This comic hits all the right beats. Amelin and Lothos are legitimately fearsome, Gary Murray may be a guidance counselor now, but he's still a party guy, and his side-splitting Doobie Brothers speech appears in its full glory, and Merrick's death is both darker and actually kind of heartbreaking, as he chooses to swallow a bullet rather than succumb to vampirism at the hands of Lothos. Now, the idea behind this segment is that I don't tell you how the comic ends, and you get to decide whether or not you want to read it and find out but this particular comic is just new life breathed into a tired old story you guys already know. I won't, however, tell you whether or not the gym burns down, an event referenced in the first episode. You'll have to read it for yourself to find that out. The origin raises an interesting question. Is this comic canon with the Buffyverse? It's arguable. Joss himself said that while he has issues with it, it pretty much can be accepted as canon. However, it ties directly with a strictly non-canon comic I'm reviewing next week. Because this story is presented as an anecdote Buffy tells the gang over lunch, I'm willing to turn a blind eye to the interesting creative choices and say that yes, this comic can be accepted as canonical addition to the Buffyverse. Here we have it folks, the official rating for the first comic reviewed on Clairvoyance Comics. If you didn't gather from my review, this comic is definitely worth a read. In fact, don't even bother seeing the movie itself, pick this up and call it a day. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Origin, is getting a definite lusting from me. Verdict? Lust. Join us next episode where we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 2, Episode 1, When She Was Bad, and Episode 2, Some Assembly Required.
Can't wait until next week? In the meantime, check out 24, the Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast on hhwlod.com. All programs, productions, characters, music, and stories discussed in this nonprofit podcast belong to Joss Whedon and or their respective networks. All music, clips, and discussion used is either original, royalty-free, or released under Creative Commons designation CCBYNCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening.